0: Hello and welcome to Deep Thought Shallow Plots. My name's Erica and I really like to watch horror movies. My name's Katie, and I really like to overanalyze things. And Katie, today we are overanalyzing Quentin Tarantino's 2007 Death Proof. Death Proof! Uh, As you'll recall last time, we did Planet Terror, right? Which was the first of the the Grindhouse double feature. And so it only makes sense that we would wrap it up with Death Proof, which you and I agree is the superior film.
1: Yeah, I think what I said last time was that I understood why people preferred Planet Terror, because it's a lot more... Campy and fun, fun, yeah, but that's not necessarily what I look for in a film.
0: Yeah, I think this one just goes a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, um, I do too.
0: I, you know, I have reasons why I prefer this film over Planet Terror, and also why I prefer Death Proof to several other Quentin Tarantino movies. It's yeah, I it can, might be my favorite. I consider myself a Quentin Tarantino fan. Yeah. So like, just I need to like come out of the closet as a Tarantino fan, <laughs> and like, obviously, that's gonna you know shade my my bias here. But yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of uh, even people who do consider themselves to be fans of Quentin Tarantino don't like this movie or some of them like it's the one Tarantino movie they've never seen. Yeah. And it's like,
1: what are you doing with your life? I, I kind of understand the ones who haven't seen it. I can see how it sort of went under the radar because it was a part of this like double, double feature Ryan and, House and thing. it honestly
0: didn't do well. Right. Economically didn't do well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll be honest, immediately, really, the first and uh, one of the only things I really want to talk about is Kurt Russell. One of the only <laughs> things. Uh, so, here's the thing. And you probably, you know, we know each other pretty well. You probably already know this. Um, I love Kurt Russell. Oh, I actually didn't know that. I love Kurt Russell. Based on what? Uh, So many things. For, uh, first and foremost, he... Reminds me of my dad, oh, which is a huge one. I see that. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. I, I think maybe because like there's a little bit like of a vibe he yeah. shares with my dad. Yeah. yeah. It's not like an appearance or anything. It's a vibe. It's the vibe. Yeah. Especially the characters he plays in yeah. his films. Right. And and I, I actually did grow up watching a lot of Kurt Russell movies with my dad. Uh, Big Trouble, yes. Little China. Uh, the thing you know all kinds of stuff yeah. uh, so it, it's kind of you know the history is there the memory is there and of course you know it's always fun to see him play the bad guy right? because he does it really really he well he does it really well yeah. um, I have
1: like very little opinion on
0: Kurt Russell oh, as an actor
1: I've got enough for both of us so yeah. it's okay I'm more like Pam and the other girls in the uh, bar being like oh
0: uh-huh. Big China what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that's a movie? Uh-huh. A TV show? I don't know. And they're just like, and they just politely listen, uh-huh. you know? And like, they're just they're, like, oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and then it's not until something Mike's like, you have no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. They're like, no, sorry, baby. <laughs> this film is, is pretty clearly separated into two distinct acts, yeah. right? And the thread is... Kurt Russell's character, Stuntman Mike. So in Act 1, we have uh, who I kind of think is the main character of Act 1, which is Jungle Julia Lukai. Oh, and She's my main character in Act 1.
1: I would say she's a dra- driving force of Act 1. I just feel like we spend a lot of time also with Arlene. I feel like they sort of share the main character vibes interesting yeah. I mean you know Arlene's the one where we get the big lap dance scene Arlene's the one who like notices that Mike is like kind of creeping on them yeah you know
0: yeah that's true and actually one of the resources that I was I was looking at for research for this actually does make a really a similar argument that actually it's Arlene who's set up to be our you know final girl I yeah I think she does
1: have that vibe I feel like Julia yeah. is set up more as like our traditional like first sacrifice kind of cool
0: girl yeah because she's hanging out with her legs out the window and stuff. Yeah, she's, like, too cool. And then we've got Shanna. Not Shauna. No. It's Shanna. Shanna Banana. Shanna Banana.
1: Who is, this is her second time
0: on the pod. It is? It's the actress
1: from Cabin Fever.
0: You're totally right. Yes, (laughs) she is in Cabin Fever. For a second, I thought you were talking about Cabin in the Woods, but I understand now. Yeah, no, that Um, wouldn't work. So Jordan Ladd, second mention on the pod, and lest we forget... Rose McGowan, third Third time time friend of the pod. Anybody else coming back? No, probably not. Well, I mean, other than people from Planet Terror. Right. Oh, yeah, the characters that are in Planet Terror as well.
1: I loved getting a little mini cameo from Dr. Dakota Block. Dr. Dakota Block, yes. Because every other time I've watched Death Proof, I've been like, I don't know, some doctor. Now I'm like, Ooh. dr Dr. dakota
0: lore (laughs) she has a brother (laughs) which we find that out in planet terror they talk about her brother yeah the whole point is that like her all of her family is in law enforcement and she's a doctor oh i never got that it's okay i only ever noticed her dad
1: it's okay i know i well maybe if i had watched death proof first yeah then i would have gotten it it is interesting that chronologically death proof takes place before planet terror it does yep and yet it was screened after
0: yeah and then we t- we talked a little bit about why that would have been the idea that the, the bigger name is quentin tarantino and he's probably going to draw a bigger crowd so which is
1: funny because then actually when they did play it since nobody really did double features anymore a lot of people left after planet terror yeah. and didn't stick around
0: for death proof because they didn't know it was there that's silly did you notice because as the in-house tarantino expert here <laughs> did you notice very first shot women's feet uh yeah yeah like yeah. i
1: know that that's his like thing that's his thing yeah but like we really do get introduced to each of the f- initial girls yeah also i love that in the the opening credits it's like kurt russell as uh, stuntman mike yeah. and then it's like the girls yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm yeah. all i'm like okay the girls the girls yeah, yeah and they're All of the... It changes in the second half. But in the first half, it's like, okay, we meet Jungle Julia by her feet. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. We meet... um, Arlene with her feet. Yeah. Yep. And then, like, a long shot just sort of, like, of her legs. Yeah. She has to pee really bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. like, we meet all of them by, like, their legs or their feet first before we see their faces.
0: And And then, actually, even the second half, that's how we meet Abernathy, too. That's true, yeah. And, of course for me I'm just like all right Tarantino we get it we get it you like feet but you know what he's the creator yeah and he can kind of do he can do whatever he wrote it he directed it he can do yeah whatever I he also, wants
1: I, I particularly liked actually I mean this was more legs than feet but I like that in the second half we get a lot less like feet and legs because those characters have like long pants on and things like that like jeans or whatever right except for in the very end one of our last shots of Abernathy she specifically hiked her pants up and sort of like tied them up into shorts oh yeah so we
0: can get a final <laughs> leg shot and in. yeah I think there is definitely an exploitation factor to it we we did talk again off mic about the kind of exploitation of it all of calling her jungle Julia yeah um it's worth noting that of course the actor her name is Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. she is Sydney Poitier's daughter yeah um you know famous yeah. black actor um so her dad is black but her mom is white Mm. So she is I didn't know that Mm multiracial. But it's interesting to see her kind of like or at least this character, you know, lean closer towards the exoticizing of Jungle Julia. Right. And we see her billboards and there's one where she's literally like in a jungle setting, you know.
1: And then, of course, the other one where it's basically just her legs. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting. So you're good. You call her Arlene. Honestly, I call her Butterfly. I'll try to call her Arlene because Well, I thought Butterfly was just some bullshit that Julia came up right? with, right? It's just like I
1: assumed it went along with like her show and what she does and like
0: Butterfly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, would Arlene like to be called Butterfly? Because that's mm. really what it comes down to, yeah. right? Um. So I'll, I'll do my best to call her Arlene. Um. Yeah. So Arlene is is set up more as. When in a second, when we'll talk about this movie as as a slasher film, right? Mm-hmm. She is set up more as our final f- girl. final girl, right? And Shanna is—I don't know—she's like a little bit goofy to me, you yeah. know. Like she's maybe like if we were to just like archetype them super quickly, like she might be more of a fool, maybe. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of there just for fun and jokes. Yeah.
1: I really like her
0: relationship with Julia,
1: how they can kind of poke at each other and have fun and yell and, at each other. And, and yell at
0: each other. And it's it's pretty clear to me they've known each other a very long time.
1: Yeah, I did wonder yeah. about, is Arlene somebody that like Julia met in college or something? Right. Because Arlene is very like New York.
0: Yeah, she's got like a super thick East Coast accent. Yeah, Yeah, so it, it makes me wonder, and I definitely felt this way watching it, is that Arlene is sort of like, she's in this friend group but she's like the closest to the outside Well, because it
1: seemed like she was just sort of visiting
0: she's visiting now. yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah so i got the sense that she knew julia from somewhere else like maybe they went to college together on right. the east coast or something and she might know or maybe she, they
0: in hollywood because apparently julia spent some time in in la but also shanna and arlene are driving to julia's house together so like they know yeah, each other they know each other too yeah. to an
1: extent but it seems like not in the same way that shanna and julia know each other yeah so it's like our, they maybe grew up together and
0: then of course once Pam gets involved oh, is yeah. like oh these people have, have history yeah because right? Pam's like I knew her in elementary school yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was a bully mean
1: girl yeah. <laughs> but yeah I see that for Julia
0: yeah and like and actually talking about that is really interesting because I was noticing how like in some ways this movie is just such like a beautiful like feminist manifesto yeah right and in some ways it's so interesting to see the women characters like really banding together and like supporting each other yeah And yet also in the ways that they, like, totally tear each other down. I
1: know. I feel like there aren't a lot of, like... I mean, I'm still pretty new to the horror genre, <laughs> even though I have a podcast. Um, I feel like I can't think of a lot of horror movies where we get to just see women hanging out just together, be, just be being women. women and having a, a
0: discussion with other women without like the male perspective. Yes. Although it's interesting because, again, this was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And we have kind of lurking over this,
1: the fact that we know pretty early on that Stuntman Mike is watching them. Yeah. So there is this kind of voyeuristic like, and yes, they're not really doing this all for the male gaze, but it does doesn't matter they have the male gaze upon it's them still anyway there. yeah and yeah. that's true because it's
0: also a movie written and directed by a man yeah and it's it's interesting because like we get to see in both acts the beginning of both acts of this film we see stuntman mike kind of driving around like being a voyeur right yeah yeah. and it's interesting because yeah because arlene is the one who notices right she notices his car at guero's yeah the yeah restaurant. The mexican restaurant before and uh, notices it again at the bar yeah. right and uh and he
1: tries to play it off as like a coincidence or like
0: yeah well and I- i've never been to austin texas but i've i've heard i've heard good things okay and i've also heard that it is very small yeah like i've heard that th- that's accurate i mean yeah it's not yeah. too
1: hard to believe that's you know you would get dinner there and then you'd go to a bar a little bit further away and like yeah there you are.
0: Yeah, and he does play it off as a coincidence. And honestly, to me, Stuntman Mike gets the best jokes in this film when like Arlene is pretty obviously like scared of him, right? And he yeah. does ask like, "Are you are you scared of me?" and she's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Is it my scar?" Mm-hmm. which he he says he got cutting himself shaving yeah. earlier on in the film. And she's like, "No, it's your car," which is astute, right? Like, right. The, yeah. And he plays off as, like, "Yeah, it's my mom's car. It's yeah. like these <laughs> jokes to like make him seem less Homeless. threatening. Yeah, just to make, make him seem harmless. Just like right? some guy. He's like, because he's not consuming alcohol. He's right. drinking like seltzer water and a virgin pina colada. Which is just so easy and to dismiss. Going like to town on a like grande nacho platter. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, he yeah. makes himself
1: seem very... and like oh he's just gonna give this girl a ride home he's like a gentleman you know whatever i do want to go back though to what you said about how these women like support each other but also tear each each other other apart yeah first on them supporting each other i do like that when we get arlene when she does cave and gives stepman mike the lap dance that he wins Yeah, yeah yeah you know with the exception of, I think, one other guy kind of behind
0: the bar. It's all women. It's all women. And are they are just like, yeah. And they are like watching. They're yeah. not just like doing their own thing. They're like, yeah. no, I want to see Pam's this. Pam's like right there next to it, like clapping her hands. Yeah, like, yeah. get it on leave. Yeah. <laughs> so can we talk about the lap dance scene? Yeah. Let's just talk about it. So I was very curious as to why she does it. Mm. because she makes it very clear she's just like you scare me right it's not your scar it's your car right yeah but then is it the kind of egging on and like the like that's fine you don't have to but like just so you know you're going in my book is chicken shit and yeah. she like is that like how very dare you
1: well i think one of the sort of motivators in this film is like fragile
0: easily bruised egos right and i think you can see it really clearly with stuntman mike he plays on it
1: yeah, he yeah. plays on it.
0: He does kind of call her out and he's just like, You probably thought that people were gonna be bugging yeah. you all night and no one's bugged you once. Yeah. You know, he and specifically yeah.
1: says there are a few things as fetching as a bruised eagle ego, ego. on a beautiful woman. Yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think he's doing part of his harmless thing yeah. is
0: that he does the classic pickup artist nagging. Yeah. And to me, it's fascinating that he does this to Arlene and it works Mm -hmm. because uh, uh, literally the minute we meet Arlene and she's talking about hanging out with Nate I, I wrote down, God bless Arlene and her firm boundaries. I know. Yeah. queen of yeah. protecting like, her boundaries, setting those boundaries, being fierce about it. Yeah. Like, we're going to make out, you know, and, and then you're going to go home, right? Yeah. And hearing the the kind of, well, the way she tells the story of, of Nate kind of like pushing against yeah. it a little bit. And she's like, nope. nope. I know what you're going to say. You're like, we can just go to sleep together. We don't have to do anything. No.
1: No. No. You're Leave. getting out of my house. Yeah. And but was- I think, because yeah, she is very good at setting her boundaries, but she also... 'Cause her friends also push her at things too, like Julia's whole thing where she's like, I was on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made this whole deal. I was like, if anybody comes up to you and says calls you butterfly yeah, yeah, yeah. and recites this poem Buys you a drink and recites, recites this the poem, poem yep. then you have to give them a lap dance. Yeah. And Arlene's like, I'm not gonna fucking do that. Are you yeah. fucking kidding yeah. me? And Julia's basically like, Well, you don't have to. Yeah though somebody cute might come up and yeah. you might want to do it, but you don't have to. Yeah. It's just that everybody in Austin, Texas will know that you're a super a coward. Yeah. You know? So like, I think it was already playing in Arlene's head. Yeah. Cause that's also how Julia gets on her. I think that is a weakness that Arlene has where she, she wants to be the cool girl. She wants to, be. she tough. wants to, you know, she wants to be tough and yeah. go along with it. She doesn't want to seem chicken shit. Yeah. Even if that means breaking her boundaries and going outside of her comfort zone. Even a in a, bit. in a
0: town where she does not live.
1: And I think it's interesting, I mean, just to briefly touch on the second act, I think Abby has a similar flaw, because she talks about how she always feels like she gets left out of things, because she, she's, like, not going to be allowed to go right in the charger with them. Yeah. And I just feel like that's kind of, like, similar in a way of, like, everybody in this film wants to be, like, courageous and, like, ballsy and, like, cool, and they don't like it when that gets challenged. Which is the same for Mike. Like, yeah. he wants people to think he's, like, really cool and hot shit, and, like, I think that's also part of why he really preys on, like, Arlene and Abby almost more than the other girls is because that's a part of himself that he really hates and so wants to conquer. Yeah. That part of him that, like, wants to be cool and awesome and go along with everything. Oh, yeah.
0: Totally, like, the way that I remember learning this in, like, elementary Elementary school. It's like, you know, if somebody doesn't like you, it's probably something that they don't like about themselves. Right. And it's like, yeah, totally. I I think
1: that, yeah, he doesn't like that he's a coward. And so he goes after people by calling them cowards. Right. I think that's a thing he does. And I think it happened to work really well on On Arlene Arlene because she has a similar thing about that. Did you want to say more about the lap dance?
0: Uh, No. I actually really, I was just there with like a, I was just like questioning it. I was like, why is this happening? Other than to have like a fantastic quintessential exploitation scene of a woman yeah. lap dancing for a man. And somebody, I forget, I read a lot of different reviews. I forget yeah. which one
1: this came in in particular, but it was one talking about sort of like the tension between these women. How they're like exploited and yeah. how we have that like male gaze on them, but yeah. how they're also... Still like these pretty full characters. And oh, so yeah that oh my gets, gosh, yeah, how it gets emphasized in that scene where she's doing this cool lap dance. There's something just sort of silly or like down to earth about the fact that she does it all in like these cheap flip flops right yeah oh the one thing we didn't talk about the women can be really supportive of each other in this mm-hmm. film but you also said that they tear each other down Yeah, and I was just wondering about that Yeah, I can think of one instance
0: so I, we hear it a lot well we already know and then also with Pam I guess yeah so exactly I think Pam is the biggest example and obviously we have to take it with a grain of salt because the whole point is that Pam and Julia are not friends right yeah, right? yeah. they uh, had a where pretty antagonistic she, relationship she calls her a pituitary case and she's yeah. like oh come on man like puberty's hard on everyone you Yeah, know, leave her alone <laughs> and then when she also says something like sorry I'm built like a girl not a black man and she's like why do we why is that relevant Pam like I know your feelings are hurt I'm sure she bullied you but like you're adults now like don't can you not see where she might have been coming from in this instance you know whatever especially
1: as I'm assuming Julia is one of the few black women in the area, probably yeah. at their school. Yeah. Like, we don't really see other black people around. Not in act One. No, not in nope. Act One. Yeah. So, like, I feel like Julia was probably dealing with her own dealing shit with other and stuff, maybe yeah. projecting some of it outward. But, like, yeah, y'all are adults now. Yeah, come on, get it yeah. together. And I think the other big example actually comes in the second act. Yeah. Where. They want to get that cool car yeah so they're like let us take your car out on a test drive as collateral we're yeah. going to leave one of our friends yeah. here dressed in her cheerleader yeah. outfit for the movie she's uh. shooting and we're going to imply that she will like that she's a porn actress and that she's yeah. easy basically yeah. like yeah. they're leaving lee in a legitimately dangerous situation right alone on this guy's farm in the middle of, or whatever wherever land, yeah. in the in middle Tennessee. of fucking nowhere yeah this guy that they don't know yeah they're just leaving and she
0: has no idea what they, they don't no, tell her about I, it i don't like that either i choose to like in my brain imagine because obviously the movie ends exactly when it has to end right, right? yeah so like we can't see where they go back to the guy and be like hey we totally fucked yeah, your challenger um <laughs> uh, uh, i'm, and, sorry like, about I'm that. sure they take care of it you yeah. know it's like yeah we'll pay you you know whatever yeah they Ex- all seem
1: to be doing well with their career
0: circumstances right so (laughs) we had to kill a guy yeah Yeah, yeah. you know it was a whole thing Um, so sorry about your car and like we'll get our friend back right yeah Um. yeah I don't love that either yeah because we don't know what happens to Lee it's just sort of left there yeah
1: especially since Lee feels like kind of like the most oblivious to the world or the most innocent
0: yeah the yeah, the least, I don't want to say educated, but like, yeah, the least. The least, I think she's had to deal with the real world. The least, the least like the yeah. most
1: naive. The most Not, naive,
0: yes, exactly. Because she's like, she's young, she's hot. Yeah. She's literally dressed as a cheerleader. Yeah. The entire film. She's apparently doing pretty well as an actor. Yeah, so she's, she's in, vo- in a lure. Yeah, so like yeah. she's
1: probably been pretty insulated. Yeah. And now they're just like, she's so shocked that somebody would like need a gun. Yeah,
0: and doesn't. <laughs> understand the difference between being australian and being from new zealand uh, yeah. <laughs> which eh, you know yeah, she's gullible not everybody knows as much about geography as yeah. me so but
1: but yeah no she just doesn't seem as aware of the world and I just can't imagine that that situation I mean, she gullible was and naive fine. Are,
0: are good words yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm
1: sure she, she was probably fine there yeah. but like it's just like a weird thing that gets hanging and we, there and
0: we leave her in like a really troubling scene where she's sitting down yeah. like looking at that guy all weird and he's like kind of chuckling at her yeah Ooh, no, I, I mean I, I, I always keep like in
1: that. mind the fact that they left their like car
0: that. there so I kind of assume that she just hung out in the car yeah lock the car and be (laughs) just like
1: fine that's always been my assumption but it is it's weird it's a weird instance in this film of women really like kind of supporting each other and being there for each other yeah of them just like abandoning one of their own
0: (laughs) yeah and then i think also in act two when they're they finally pick up zoe from the airport and they're driving around and they're talking just shooting the shit yeah and they're kind of on Abernathy again for like how dare she have boundaries you know oh yeah and like the 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 way things are going with her and the director Cecil you know and and they're like well you're not having sex with him because you're not doing him these sexual favors like of course he's gonna have sex with somebody else on your birthday after giving you a present (laughs) and eating a piece of your cake right yeah
1: and it's just like yeah no they really aren't they really don't see it from her side and Abby is even
0: like how fuck, are you not on my fuck side? Fuck you, Andrew. Little high five. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. And I totally understand that. Yeah. Um. And then back in Act One, I do love how Shanna <laughs> is talking with Julia because they're going out to Lake LBJ, right? The whole point is they're supposed to go out to the lake house and hang mm-hmm. out, right? And Shanna's like, "No boys, you know, because like odds are my dad will stop by, right? Oh, you yeah. know, her and dad. Her dad. Yeah." And it's just funny how like Julia calls her dad Ben. Yeah, right. By his yeah, he's like, I have my own relationship with Ben, and yeah. you're just upset because it doesn't involve you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. She's like, Yeah, I'm an adult woman. I call him
0: by his, his first name. <laughs> I'm I'm not a child, and yeah. that's his name. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and actually, Shanna's dad is a really great example of how really immediately, like as soon as possible in Act One. All of the men in this film are set up as really predatory or, yeah. or very capable of coercion and threat, right? Yeah. So, like, we hear the story Arlene tells about Nate not respecting, like, yeah. like not okay, I'm done, we're done, you need to go home, and him kind of pushing back on yeah. that, right? Um, we The way that Shanna describes her dad is, like, a is creepy. Yeah,
1: I mean, and the way that I think we're supposed to think is kind of like, oh, just some harmless old guy. Yeah. I think kind of similar how we're supposed to read how Mike wants people to read yeah. him as like okay he's a bit of a lech but he's yeah. old and he's, and he's harmless when it comes down to it he'll just like look at you and say things and but he's he won't a little out of anything. time you know yeah. yeah like he has that vibe too where it's like yeah. yeah my dad might show up because we'll all be in our bikinis yeah. and he'll just you know decide he needs to like fix the porch or something to make you know? sure we don't need anything yeah. yeah so just to like hang out all these hot girls but he won't do
0: anything yeah. <laughs> and then of course we we see stuntman Mike like stalking and you know yeah. and keeping an eye on them and following them around and then also uh the bartender warren played by quentin tarantino right they're partying so are they partying because of like julia's success yeah. is that why they're
1: they're out hanging around i was wondering if it was that and if it was also partially because arlene was in town yeah because so it it's seemed like, like she was visiting it's a so. special
0: occasion we're celebrating right yeah and so warren sends them shots and yeah. like makes them do it yeah he was like right it was like yeah if warren, warren sends shots the, you, gotta you gotta do, it. gotta do and them. it's like this weird like bright green substance yeah. i wouldn't take that heck yeah. no but like it does kind of seem like they have a relationship with warren it like does. they know warren but like but still, still they like make him do it doesn't he do one too he does okay that makes me feel a little better yes because it, it does seem like it's coming from
1: kind of a friendly place but from yeah. a friendly place of like well because I'm your friend, yeah. I can get away with pushing some boundaries. Yeah, you, you know need that to he do like. This.
0: Well, he uses that to his advantage, and they've already been drinking,
1: yeah, for a while, right? Yeah. yeah, and I think he uses his position as like a boss to his advantage too, where sometimes yeah. he's like a little weird with his employees. Yeah, I think he
0: like has one of his like bartenders like sit on his lap for or a something. second. No, yeah, no, and no, I'm like no, no, no. Mm. Uh, and then of course, obviously, like the big one is. Uh, Dove played by Eli Roth and Omar, they're the ones talking at the bar. Okay, yeah, like yeah. Like yeah. figuring out, okay, how can we get the girls drunk enough to that inv- yeah. we can go to the lake house too?
1: Yeah. When they've already said it's a no boys allowed it's affair. No boys allowed, yeah. That like her, Shanna's dad doesn't like guys out yeah. in his cabin yeah. like they've already made it clear that this
0: is like a no boys thing it, girls girls' weekend
1: yeah. yeah like they've made it very clear yeah. that like hey we're gonna hang out with you beforehand yeah. we're gonna like drink and yeah. like hey we'll even make out in the car for a while yeah. like, and we'll then we're fun. gonna go to the lake and then right, this yeah. is
0: what we're gonna do and, uh, and obviously like if you just listen to the dialogue in that scene it's like really aggressive it is like I think they call them they call the girls like fucking bitches yeah. and like talking about like like getting shots down their throats like yeah. really aggressive language and it's like Eli Roth no why no. <laughs> like I know that this the character was written this way but no
1: um
0: yeah they're talking <sighs> at the bar like how do they get them drunk enough so that like you know no guys at the lake house turns into a couple guys at the lake house mm-hmm. so that they can have sex yeah right um yeah. and then of course then they're even more rude they remind me of like my ninth grade students like yeah making, no, they're very childish yeah really childish like making fun of the way stuntman mike is eating nachos yeah and it's like he's minding his own business yes he is technically the villain but like right now Not he's at minding this moment. his own business. Yeah. You mind your business too. And it's
1: like, even if you knew he was the villain, it's like, well, he's not a villain because of the way that he eats nachos. Yeah, 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 People eat, nachos are like a notoriously messy Messy food. food. Yes. I don't know how you want someone to eat nachos like a dainty little, like what did you want from him? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. or
1: I don't know. I know. And it is a weird juxtaposition where we're in this position of sort of being like on stuntman mike's side even though at this point we already know that he's a creep too all the guys in this movie are creeps yeah yeah. but at that point it's like well low blow yeah make
0: fun of him alone yeah seriously (laughs) also i just can i just say what nostalgia it was for me uh to watch this movie that takes place in a time and in a state where recreational marijuana is illegal and they're talking about the pain in the ass (laughs) of finding marijuana and it's funny because shanna and butterfly arlene are like well we'll pay you. like we'll we'll help pay and julia's like it's not about the money it's the pain in the ass of scoring and i was like man (sighs) 16 year old erica feels this (laughs) So deeply, like <laughs> such a personal, such a personal level, yeah. and I love that the the person you know they're like trying to problem solve like who's got weed, who's got weed. Lana Frank's got That's weed. Lana Frank, and to me, I don't know why, but I read Lana Frank as a lesbian. Oh, I just do. Well, no,
1: I told you before, I was confused. I thought maybe she was in a relationship with the bartender, yeah, Warren, with Warren yeah. And Tia's character, because yeah. when she shows up in the background, we see them kiss. Yeah, but I guess you're reading that as more as like a whatever. It's Warren. Yeah, kind it's Warren.
0: Thing. He kisses people. Lana Frank's got the weed. You know, yeah, like they. Yeah. yeah,
1: I thought she was like the cool wife of the bartender who shows up sometimes with drugs <laughs> with weed. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I
0: like. I just and like that, that they had maybe like a chill open thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That yeah. was my vibe. Maybe yeah <laughs> I don't know. Lana is just like she's so like. Alt, you know, she's yeah, got like the just because she has short hair, the makeup and the piercings <laughs> and the leather jacket, yeah. and the, she's got like a lot of studs happening as well. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it's just like, yeah, she's, a, a, you know, as per usual, the lesbians got the weed hookup. Good job, good job, Lana.
1: Definitely all the guys in the first half like suck. There's like not a good guy in the no. group, even actually, we get in sort of like a transitional period between the two halves, we get a brief conversation with like a sheriff. Who is also yeah. in planetary, in Planet yeah. Yeah. That's Dr. Dakota Block's dad. Yep. Yep. The only reason he matters to me. Yep. Um and even he's kind of a like he's like, I'm pretty sure this guy killed these women he, with his car on purpose. He gets it like to a teeth. He's so right. Yeah. But he's like but getting all the evidence for that would be really hard. And instead, I could go watch NASCAR. NASCAR yeah. So I think I'll just
0: go watch NASCAR. Well, and I think he says something like, if he does it again, it won't be in the state of Texas. Yeah, he's
1: like, I'll protect
0: my ladies. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'm not yeah. going to worry about other ladies in other countries. Yeah. States, rather. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just like, OK, douchebag. Yeah. Ugh. Isn't that your job?
0: Yeah. Isn't that your job? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah
1: like it yeah no and it's weird i don't think we have there are so few men in the second half there's really just stuntman mike and the creep that they get the the car from yeah who isn't too outwardly creepy like his creepiness isn't oh he is racist right at the beginning
0: yeah he calls kim a colored girl yeah and Abby has to be like, like she is a the, the
1: woman of color, color. yes <laughs> she is a
0: woman of color so there are also as a woman yeah, of color, yeah, I mean, yeah. to be like
1: oh <laughs> but in general yeah I think there's just like an interesting tension here
0: where it's like all of the guys in the movie suck they suck they suck so hard Except and it's one thing I do really like is when you know uh Arlene is out on the deck by herself and is pouring rain right yeah, yeah. and then Nate comes out and he was like hey i was thinking we could make out in my car right yeah. and she was like are you kidding it's like what does she say it's like nah i'm out there yeah. like, know, which is a weird reference but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well and and also like we are we are meant to be tricked or you know Ah, uh, forget that it's actually taking place in contemporary time. Like yeah. there are all these little, little like tricks to get us to be thinking that this is taking place in the seventies, right? Yeah. Right, like the clothes that they're wearing, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the music that's playing, yeah. and then you know, everyone's, the quality of just the film itself. that we're seeing, and then of course like uh, the cars that are being driven, yeah, right. Um, and then we see like a, f- a cell phone pops yeah, up yeah. every yeah. once in a while, yeah, and you're just like, oh, oh right, we right, are right, in right, the right, now right. times, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like a uh, in, in the second half, like, during that final chase scene where they kind of bust through the movie, The Sign, this is, like, Scary Movie 4 or yeah, whatever, yeah. and you're just like, oh, it's kind of this interesting break from the past, like, busting through into the, the future, ah, or into yeah. the now times, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, it would be contemporary, yeah. Um, but I just really love the way Nate... The way he he tells Arlene that he wants to make out, and he's like, "I want to make out." <laughs> no, it's, I don't know. I thought it was pretty cute. And she's you know? like, "Don't you whine at me, boy?" Yeah, that, but like she she you know she sets yeah. She's like, "Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna make like... sure my hair doesn't get wet because mm-hmm. it's." pouring down rain it's like We're, we get six minutes yeah and, and when I'm it's like, done you will not whine at me yeah and he's like "No, nope, i won't and like, you better and not
1: he seems to have done okay yeah we, we don't, don't, don't really see it but they we come don't back hear about it after satisfied. that yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: and then of course also i think it's worth noting because it's one of the big parallels between the two groups of girls in both acts is um butterfly kind of getting ghosted by what well, christian mm. simon julia julia uh, like into this guy Christian Simonson we don't ever see him we just hear about him right and she's texting him and he's texting her back but like he never shows yeah you know and she and, has to text him like
1: I hate you or
0: whatever yeah, she yeah, said. yeah you suck yeah yeah um which of course yeah does parallel what's happening with like with Abby right and the director Cecil it's like you know we're like kind of hanging out like things are kind of developing into a relationship for us but like this guy is kind of is not really being open with the communication you know and it's like yeah yeah that does happen yeah yeah
1: and then the other big thing that sort of connects them is just how yeah with those things more with Arlene but in general this idea of like that these are all girls who like women I yeah. should say just because the movie calls them girls yeah, yeah <laughs> these are yeah. adult women they are. um that these are all women who have these really firm boundaries and like where we have all these conversations about people like making out with someone or going you know doing what they want to do and then like kicking guys out or whatever yeah that it's like like if this was a slasher it's like the opposite of the version as the final girl because instead it's like the virgins that are the ones that are being like targeted like yeah. these are specifically the women who don't put out who are getting targeted yeah and it's, like, kind of spiteful, in a way, for the movie. Because we know Stuntman Mike doesn't know this. So he's not targeting them for that reason. It's the no. movie that is targeting these women and letting us mm. know about it. That it's, like, from a medical perspective, it almost feels spiteful of, like, how dare these women not put out for these guys. Yeah. Let's kill them brutally in this car accident. Yeah. Which is another one of those things where we were talking about how, like, this movie can be really great from a feminist perspective. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then also I can see how people could have feminist critiques of it. Like, that it can be pretty double-edged in that way. Totally. Like, I could see being uncomfortable with that sort of side of it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, too. And But I also, you know, you said, like, let's just kill all these broads in a car accident, right? Mm -hmm. And, God, I love that scene so much. Just the Um, way they we watch uh, the car. I love it. I love the way that they show it four different times to show what's happening to each person. Girls, I love like the horror of watching Julia's leg get ripped off. That is the one that stays with me. Even though I feel like the other ones are worse because
1: we actually see like i feel like with julie is all we see is the like ripped off we yeah. don't really see her like die
0: the rest of it yeah you know well um, yeah, arlene we getting
1: a tire to the face is intense i know for some reason that didn't step like when i watched it again this time yeah. i was like i remember the leg didn't remember anything remember else the, the
0: tire to the face yeah i do also remember shanna getting like flown from right. the car but from because lana frank is the one driving in that accident whatever mm-hmm. and I feel like when they, they show her, like, from her perspective as, like, the the cars collide, like, it's not really a lot. It's just, like, a lot of broken glass. Yeah. And, like, her kind of, like,
1: yeah, I assume she letting just got go of
0: the wheel. Cut up or whatever. Yeah. And I was just like, that's not as gruesome as the other three, though. Mm-hmm.
1: But to, to be fair, she didn't offend as much because she wasn't as she much wasn't of a She wasn't as much. It's
0: actually really interesting that she ends up driving the car. I was wondering about that because, okay, well, mm. Death proof law. (laughs) Uh
1: Uh-huh. The sheriff talks about how they don't really have proof of anything other than maybe reckless endangerment for Pam because Pam was in the passenger seat. Right. Oddly enough, I have work experience in the field of car crashes. You do. I do. I worked for a biomechanical consultant. Uh And a lot of what he did was look at the mechanics of a crash like on a human body Uh to determine how the cars would have happened, how the accident would have happened right. to make those sort of injuries and would also work with, like, engineers who would have looked at where the cars ended up and what kind of skin marks they had to figure out where the cars were. Mm-hmm. I don't know about back in 2007. Yeah. But now I do think that it wouldn't be too hard to prove that Mike was going way too fast yeah. and on the wrong side on of the, the wrong road. wrong side, yeah. You know? Yeah, And, like, yes, it's bad that the women were drinking, but it was specifically... I almost said Lisa Frank. It was specifically Lana, Lana yeah. Frank who was driving and she was smoking. Yeah. Was she drinking? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure how much she actually had in her system. It yeah. seems like they, she was kind of their DD to an extent. Yeah. Based on how fucked up the rest of them were, you yeah. know? But I'm wondering, like, and like, sure, that might be hard as a criminal case, but you wouldn't actually do a criminal case. Maybe you would. But what they would do is they would, their families would sue him for damages. Right. That's what they would do. Yeah. And I actually think that they could be successful with that.
0: Right. And and it's also really, I and the sheriff does mention it, like, again, he, like, he hits it beat by beat. He's, like, yeah. 100% A-plus knows, it, like, figuring yeah. it out exactly. Yeah, right? like, this guy purposely yeah. ran
1: his car into these
0: women yeah. to, like, get off on yeah. it. Yeah. And how insane the juxtaposition of these four women, like, completely, like, literally ripped apart. Yeah. Like, died on impact. And, and then, like, what, what were stuntman's Mike injuries? He had, like, like he a bro- collarbone couple- fracture. Yeah. Which is, like it hurts, but that, it's- Yeah, he, like, broke his collarbone, busted a rib, and, yeah. like, jammed one of his fingers. Yeah, it was, like, like, like,
1: nothing because of his fancy car. Because of his fancy death proof. I heart. also feel like people could prove that Pam's death was, was earlier. Right, yeah. Or at least different. That like the mechanics of how the car crashed would not have caused those injuries on her. Well, and that, then that I do been. wonder.
0: So are we? I guess I don't really see it. it. Are we meant to know that Pam is still in the car when he goes after the other four? I think so. Like, what would what would he do with her? Yeah, she has to. Yeah, and plus he needs to be able because
1: they think that the she sheriff. died in the crash. Because that's what the sheriff says. He's like yeah. the one thing that we could maybe get Stuntman Mike on. Yeah. is the reckless endangerment of the girl in his passenger yeah. seat because she didn't have like a seatbelt on yeah. or anything but like everybody at the bar will say she, she was the one who was left by her boy, yeah, boyfriend he or whatever was doing her a favor or, he
0: wasn't drinking all night yeah yeah.
1: He, yeah that like he comes out scot-free because because he really premeditated this by like establishing himself in the bar yep. at least a few days prior because the bartender warren was like oh yeah that's not my mic he's been in some movies or something yeah. i don't know yeah. but it's not my it's yeah. fine and yeah he never drinks he always has his virgin pina colada he's a good good enough yeah yeah Yeah, he's whatever he was helping pam out yeah but i don't know and yeah she asked him the favor yeah right yeah even though actually she was asking warren the favor and stuntman mike kind of like pushed in he just like threw his keys at her (laughs) yeah 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 and (laughs) but nobody really knows that
0: yeah, and what does what does he say? It's like, well, eavesdropping and can't help but overhearing. It's yeah. like, yeah, Pam, he is right next to you, right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also did kind of shout at Warren. Can anyone vouch? Can you vouch for anyone to give me yeah. a ride? You know? Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I just think there would have been a way for Stuntman Mike to get caught by this first instant. Oh, this is a question that I actually have, which is, do you think? How many times do you think Stuntman Mike has done this? Oh, a lot. Do you think a lot
0: or he's definitely done it before? See, I'm yeah. wondering. Yeah, how many times or, can you get away with that? Right. I'm almost wondering if we look at stuntman Mike as a serial killer. Right. What, you know, what I understand about like the pathology of serial killers is that there is sometimes like years or like long period significant. of of escalation. Oh, yeah. Like, like he'll start with one thing and then, you know, like, you know, and then escalate, right? And then, of course, you know, maybe have, like, some cooling off periods, depending on how hurt he gets when he does it. Well, that was my question, because, like, sometimes he's getting
1: hurt. And the other thing is that he has to get a whole new car.
0: Or he's got to fix his car.
1: Yeah, Yeah. because he ends up with a different car in the second half. That's a new car that he has to make death-proof again. Yeah, So, like, he's going... Well, and we also know it's like several months in between. 14 months. Yeah. Over a year. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's a lot of time that he's putting in between. Yeah. I don't know. This was my first time watching it where I was kind of like the way that he really planned everything and really put himself into it. I was kind of like, is this his escalation? Is this his one big one? where it's like maybe before he did more of like what he did with the second group where he like kind of he kind of chases he chases them and then at the end he's like that was fun that that was fun i kind of actually wondered if this was the first time where he was like no i'm gonna stalk these girls i'm gonna figure it out and this is gonna be my time where i actually like kill
0: them it's it's time for the the virgin pina colada of
1: yeah just because of how much he planned it versus in the second one where he doesn't seem to really put much planning into it at all it almost was kind of by circle like wait the first one yeah, he plans it really well. And then in the
0: second one, he, like, doesn't really do much planning. Oh, see, I think I will respectfully disagree with you on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's happening – so are, are let's – are we ready to jump into part two? Sure, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, and in part two, we get another group of girls, right? We've got Kim. We've got Lee who's the cheerleader, right? We get Zoe, who's playing like a stylized version of herself, Zoe Bell. My understanding, a very accomplished stunt woman. Yeah. And then uh, Abby Abernathy, right? Played by Rosario Dawson. Yeah. And Tracy Toms and uh, Rosario Dawson, famously in the movie production of Rent. Yes, they are. And so when I first saw this movie, I was like, why is like half the cast of Rent in this movie? I don't understand. Half the cast, two people. A third of the cast. Anyway, so those are our, our... the girls for act two. Right. Mm-hmm. And we do see, I mean, that's the way it starts. Like it starts with them just in a parking lot of a quickie Mart, you know, yeah. we get the great shot of Abby's feet. Yeah. Cause that's how we
1: have to meet these girls. Yep. I did appreciate that. The other women we meet, you know, face first.
0: That's true. We really do. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're in the parking lot of the quickie Mart. Right. And, and Kim is going in and, and grabbing some, some stuff before they go get Zoe from the airport. Right. Yeah. And, um, Lee has her headphones in and is singing very loudly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she, and she's also singing the song Baby, It's You, which is one of the songs that is played on the... The jukebox during Uh, act one. Yeah. I never caught that. Um, So we get that echo, right? The parallel again. And then, of course, the interesting thing is that it shifts into black and white for several minutes. Yeah, it does.
1: Which, yeah, I assumed was another one of those things
0: of like, oh, the film got messed up here or whatever. I actually got to learn a little bit more about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you familiar with the idea of the casting couch? Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the idea apparently, quote unquote, casting couch videos were filmed in black and white, like, well after color film had been established. Oh, so, I it's didn't just, know that. yeah, it's just kind of a, another example of, like, either refusing to or being unable to, like, step into. The future, you know, like being stuck in the past Um, and, you know, the casting couch idea of of having usually young girls like audition and seeing like if they are giving off a vibe that they might be available for sexual, sexual favors. favors yeah, in totally. exchange for this role. For in exchange for the role or for something else, right? Yeah. Um, and apparently those those videos were, were filmed in black and white for like hmm. decades after a color film had been established and like they didn't necessarily need to be in black oh, and white anymore. It's just kind of a tradition thing, I guess, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I think it maybe it serves two purposes that way. It's a little bit like, oh, the film got weird because it's, you know, supposed yeah. to be a homage to yeah. a 70s exploitation film and the film gets messed up and also a historical reference,
1: right? I also think it is like it works really well because it makes it so striking when the color does come back on. Right. Cause the first thing we see is the really bright yellow car. Yeah. And then it's kind of standing off to the side. Lee in her really bright yellow, yellow cheerleader outfit. outfit to the point where it's like the moment right after Abby is sort of like, Sort of clocks that Stuntman Mike was sort of watching them. It's yeah. like the first time where she's kind of like, oh, that guy's maybe being creepy. Yeah. Maybe he didn't just accidentally touch my foot. Yeah, maybe yeah. he was actually being creepy on me. Yeah. Like she clocks it, but immediately we get the color back and it's all this bright yellow that it almost like instantly makes you forget that she was like noticing that, he, you know? Like it sort of like makes you be like, wait, what was I thinking about? Right, yeah. It sort I, of like well, takes you. Distracted. Yeah, because yeah. it was like all these bright colors and I was like, oh my God. And like it just also is another instance of these women or sexual arousal or whatever being related to cars because this few first shot in color that we get is mm-hmm. the yellow car with the black stripes mm-hmm. and then the cheerleader outfit that's the same yellow with the black, black stripes, stripes on the skirt yeah. it's just like
0: oh these are the same yeah what's the that same. mean yeah. what's
1: that about yeah
0: yeah, and, the, and it's weird because, like, it's in black and white for so long that, at least for me, I forgot it was in black and white. Right, yeah. Until the color yeah. comes back and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. I think that, and again, that same article I was reading was talking about how Stuntman Mike is, in essence, auditioning. The, the, the girls. Yeah. Right? Like, he's he's taking pictures of them as they come back from the airport. They've got Zoe now. He's, like, taking pictures. Yeah. You know, he, like, keeps the pictures on his sun visor thing in yeah, his car. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's interesting because the movie is, like, an hour and 45 minutes, and it's split into these two distinct acts. So it's like, we don't really get a lot of time to show it, but I do feel like they're, you know, Tarantino is doing his best to show, not tell, The extent to which the, like, the energy that Mike puts into this. Right. And so in that way, if we think about man, Mike as a serial killer, uh, like, he's much more of a process killer. Like, it's about the steps. It's about the process of, like, finding the right girls. And, like, sometimes he might find a girl who's not the right one, right, and lets her go, right? And, like, finding the right ones and, like, having that hard work pay off and, like, the delayed gratification of it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of what I mean about the work that
1: he puts into the first one versus the second one, where I feel like he also put in work around that to like establish an alibi for himself. Or not an alibi, but like plausible deniability in a way that he doesn't with the second one. He has it planned out to a T, making sure the women don't even know that he's coming at them with his car because he has the lights off until the very last last second he turns the lights on. So that way you know if somebody well, is looking at his car they'll be like well he had his lights on and you know I, there's no reason why the girls you know i
0: do wonder what he you know i wonder what he does get out of it because the sheriff thinks that like there's something sexual about it right which is weird because like stuntman mike is so like without sexuality for yeah. a lot of the film and i actually i'm not sure if the vehicular manslaughter is like there is a sexual aspect for him? Maybe. I think there are absolutely. You is. think so? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, there was actually an original scene where,
1: after that first murder, they sort of suggest that he's not unconscious yet. He's just like in his car injured. Yeah. And he's like jacking off. <gasps> But they cut that out they because Tarantino was like, "I think it's obvious enough without." It's that,
0: obvious that it's sexual. That it's for him. not. Yeah. yeah,
1: especially. I mean, we see it. I think, in everything else he does with the women—how he watches them, how he right. pushes Arlene into giving the lap dance, yeah. what he does with Abernathy's feet when she doesn't know he's there. Yeah,
0: because he's like in on it. Like it's yeah. not just like he like rubs them and then is like like oh he like licks his finger and yeah, then like, like oh yeah
1: yeah it's, it's fucking gross. Uh, okay, so I mean, then so then it is sexual because of okay. Its, Non consensual nature, I mean, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is why it's fucking gross. Yeah, don't want to like get on people who are like in defeat, like whatever. Oh, yeah, the <laughs> fact that like I can imagine these women have had an exhausting couple of days and yeah. like they're about to go pick up their friend from the airport and, and you like know... have a few days off, yeah, and they're like enjoying it, yeah. And so, like, she's probably exhausted. What does she say? Like, she says, I'm exhausted, I'm like still a little drunk and hungover, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, it's like, so she's having a rough day, yeah, like, yeah, she wants to go to the hotel and sleep, and she can't right now, yeah. so like, so what does she have? She She's got the backseat of a car where she can stretch out her legs and reasonably expect no one to bother her (laughs) and try to fucking kill her or be
1: like voyeuristic. But see, but that's the thing. I think you're right. He gets a lot, gets off a lot on the the process of like watching the women and stuff. But I wonder how much he actually takes the time to like establish it and go all the way with the killing. Because in the second one, he kind of lucks out. He sees that zoe bell decides that she's going to do a stunt on the front of this car where she's yeah. going to like hold on to the front of the car while they're driving super yeah. fast and he's like well i can't
0: i can't I can't not. fucking
1: miss this but, opportunity but, but when he's done with it yeah. he's just like okay that was fun see you later murder, ladies yeah. and like he doesn't actually try to kill them i just sort of wonder how many times he actually just
0: does that that yeah the kind of cat and mouse thing that that's between, part between, of what he gets off on yeah almost more than the murder part sure well we do see zoe like go flying off the hood of the car and of course we're you know that's true he probably assumes that he killed her but he's very casual i mean named her in some way casual
1: in the sense of he thinks that he's gonna get away with it but like how how would he that he can
0: just leave now yeah you know well and i wonder you know i i wonder how much of a drifter he is because like he was in texas for part one and all of a sudden he's in tennessee i know they're not that far apart but they're not that close either yeah you know so i wonder if he he just kind of like can get out of town yeah
1: Yeah. if he is stuntman mike and has been in things and people kind of vaguely know him even if he is going state to state how often he could actually get away with like like i could see him getting away a few times with kind of like terrorizing women and being voyeuristic i don't know how many times he could actually get away with fully i mean the moment he gets caught doing it twice and it goes into some sort of system Except for, are we just supposed to assume each time every single sheriff is like, well, I'm not going to pursue this? I'm tooled for this shit. I'm yeah. going to
0: retire in a couple
1: of years. And like none of them. I mean, maybe. Maybe that's what we're supposed to assume, that he does get away with it multiple times because each time there's some each time cop who's like... Law
0: enforcement is just that incompetent yeah. or that unwilling to yeah. look into it. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know that we're going to talk a lot about like fan theories or whatever.
0: I don't have any. I don't
1: either. Except for one, you know how in the you got to listen to the closing credits because they're playing Chick Habit and that's just such oh, a yeah. good fucking song. And oh, then yeah. they played in French and it's like, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. But the whole yeah. time they have like the women flashing yeah. images uh-huh. of yeah. women. Yeah. I've seen a few, few people online being like, that's all of his previous victims.
0: Because oh. we do also see like Arlene, I think. Yeah. She's the only yeah. one though in the group. Okay. And it's yeah. not a picture like with all the other ones. She's like actually moving. It's like a... Oh.
1: But um, I don't buy that, that that's no. all his previous victims. I think it goes in more to the idea of the... Um, cuz those are all like china girls or leader ladies. Do you know what those are? No. They're like test images that you uh. use for films to make sure that the uh coloring for like the lab technicians uh. to make sure that they're like calibrating the colors, oh. right? They're you called know?
0: china girls?
1: Yes, I looked into that cuz I was like, Race "What?" Yeah. Apparently it's because speak on that. Yeah. There were like some different theories. One of them was that like often they would wear um like Chinese style shirts because they'd have a lot of different like bright colors on oh. them. You know what I mean? Okay. Or before they used, like, actual women, they would use, like, um, porcelain mannequins. A china doll. A china doll. Okay. A porcelain mannequin. So it was more because of that. Okay. But I did see from, there's the Chica- Chicago Film Society sure. has a leader lady project where they just get all of these different, like, china girls or leader ladies mm-hmm. and save their images. A lot of them are just, like, different lab technicians who they just put in some bright clothes and used as their, like, whatever. Um, but there was this quote that they had. That was, whatever you call them, their presence on the film, secretly sharing space with Hollywood starlets, is a fleeting visual document of the film industry's vast off-screen labor pool. They remind us that every film made on film stock has a physical history, that each print we encounter in the projection booth or projected onto the screen from the audience or reproduced digitally on a laptop screen passed through the hands of lab workers and technicians before it came to us. Yeah. And like that makes more sense to me. Then those theories about it being like his other previous. Yeah. I think the idea that it is these leader ladies, these China girls, yeah. makes a lot more sense because it is so. Especially since that this movie is really about like stuntmen, not just Mike, but also Kim and Zoe Bell are both stuntmen, yeah. and then like Abernathy is a artist, a makeup artist, hair and makeup. Yep, yeah. Lee is an actor, but yeah. Other than that, like. It's all these other people that are, like, that invisible labor force. Yep. Yeah, I think that's more akin to what this movie is about rather than the idea. Like, I don't think it matters so much how many times Mike has done this, how many people he's killed. I think it's more right. like... D- does it I actually think, matter? I yeah. think more, the, like, the more fitting, I don't know, horror, maybe, is, like, how many women actually get, like, chewed up by the yeah. Hollywood industry. Yeah. Like, behind the scenes that we never even know about. Yeah. And that this movie is sort of making them visible. As, like, the stars for once yeah. in, like, this interesting way. And that, that comes up with the China Girls, too, where they're, like, they're important in our credits. But also the idea of, like, the grindhouse film as, like, this physical thing that people are passing through. Yeah. In the same way that, like, these technicians are
0: doing that. I did have another question from our previous conversation about, like, what all of this does for Suntman Mike. Okay. I'm just wondering, because remember when she's, like, when he finally gives Pam a ride home, right, and it's, like are you going left or right you know and she says left or right right, whatever he says and he's just like well that's too bad yeah and and like the way he says like well if you were going left whatever whichever Whichever direction direction. yeah uh you know it'd be a while before you started getting scared but i guess you're gonna have to start getting scared now but like what does the like the fear do for him because like he it almost kind of seemed like he kind of wanted to wait for her to get scared. Yeah. Like for things to seem normal for as long as possible Yeah. until immediately they weren't.
1: That is an interesting because he does like to like you said he likes the process and he likes to kind of draw things out. Yeah. And I think he likes to be seen in a certain way. Yeah. And he has this very like outward persona that he puts on that's like different than his actual persona. Yeah. Even the fact that he's, like, not drinking isn't really who he is because we see him drink in the second half. That's true. He's You're got like, the booze to, yeah. to yeah, and put he takes, on his wound. And, yeah. and he takes a sip for it. So, like, yeah. we know that these are things that he's putting on yeah. as, like, his character. And I think, like, part of it is just that he wasn't ready to give up that character yet. Yeah. But at the same time, he's, like, aware of it slipping through. And he kind of, I think it is kind of a cat and mouse thing where he wants to see at one point they will catch on. And he kind of wants them to catch on on their own. Like, he wants to do that play. Like, I think it kind of goes back to me with the part that you brought up before where Arlene's, like, where he asks if Arlene's scared. And he's, like, is it because of my scar? Because, of course, he's sort of thinking about it from his own perspective. And that's, like, a thing that he's sort of maybe self-conscious about. Probably
0: very aware of. You know?
1: You know? And it's, like, she immediately is like, no, it has nothing to do with, like, your appearance with you. It's, like, your car and maybe, you know, some other things. It's, like, the choices that he's making, not, like, his appearance, you know? He also, like, related to that when Pam sees his car and it's sort of like, wow, this is quite the car because it's, like, black yeah. and has, like, the skull yeah, or whatever. And the on bolts. You yeah. know, it's, like, it's pretty over the top. Yeah. And he says, I wanted it to be impressive. Scary tends to impress. So it's, like... He has this play with like scaring people, yeah. Where it's like less about scaring them and more about impressing them, maybe. Like he was, he was enjoying that. Pam sort of like had this thought about him, yeah, and but was also going to enjoy her figuring out that that was like kind of a facade, and there was something else, and maybe like that big reveal was going to be really enticing for him, you know,
0: really and, tantalizing. And he does kind of trick her. By saying, oh, this car is deathproof. Yeah, right. Yeah, And he then totally not does. until later, he was like, that wasn't a lie. You just got to be in the driver's seat. Yeah. And like, what an interesting thought of like, this car is death proof as long as you're in the driver's seat. As long as like, you're the one in control. Yes. You are safe. You right? Know, yeah.
1: I mean, as a metaphor, I think that is poignant. And I think you have more to say about that. But um, I don't. as. <laughs> Well, you said it like you had thoughts, but okay. No, but as somebody who, um, like I just said, worked with somebody who did a lot with car crashes and like actually looked at a lot of images of car crashes for that job, that I think it's interesting, you know, in America, because a lot of this movie is very like American culture. So much, yeah.
0: Uh, And when we talked last episode about how like the exploitation genre and the grindhouse tradition is pretty American. yeah, Yeah.
1: I think... Our car culture is very particular, and something that's very particular about it that I kind of like hate as somebody who is a little bit terrified of cars sure. is that um, part of what we do with our cars, like safety testing and things. Yeah, we only test cars to see how safe they are from the inside. We don't actually think about cars from the outside in the way that they do in other countries, there's a reason why like in Europe, you can't, you don't see these huge trucks is because yeah. they actually test for safety of like, will this immediately kill every pedestrian no matter what? Yeah. Yeah. Well then we're not going to allow that big. car. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here we're like, okay, well we'll test if it's safe from the inside, yeah. you'll survive. Okay. They don't worry about the fact that like, well, if this car hits another
0: car, right. that car is going to be and destroyed. It's also my understanding. You might know more about this than me, that like the safety testing happens at relatively low speeds. Yeah. Like 35, 40 miles an hour. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, but, but like, that's not how people drive. That's not how people drive. Yeah. yeah. And, like those girls are probably driving incredibly fast. Like, and then yeah. Stuntman Mike's coming fast, like from the opposite uh, yeah. direction. I mean, the
1: sheriff says 200 miles per hour. I don't know where he got that number from. That sounds like,
0: like some car exploitation, like yeah. 200 yeah. miles an hour yeah. going crazy but I mean, fast. I mean, I think yeah. the
1: implication is that based on the wreck that they see, yeah, it seemed it's like it's these cars came out very fast. At each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: No. And then there's also just sort of like the gender aspect too of the car testing Interesting for the longest time the mannequins they used were based on the average
0: body Uh, of men. Of men. So Uh, like for so long I know, every time. Uh. So like
1: yeah, for so long it was like all these cars were only safe for men, like the way that all these different things were set up where, like, for certain heights and things like that, you know? So, like, this idea of this death-proof car where it's, like, it's safe if you're the one driving. It's also safe if you're the one who's, like, the guy who's in control. You know, I just... It feels very true to, like, our actual
0: car industry. And then he does... You know, and he does also, like, because, you know, Pam sees the car and is like, oh, I don't know so much, you know. And he does make her feel better by, like, well, I can't sexually assault you. Oh, yeah. In he this pulls car. car. yeah oh, Yeah. Oh, my God. That, yeah, and she's so like, well oh, you're right. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's your bar? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, Pam. And again, like, the way that the women do, like, hold each other up but also can, are so capable of tearing each other down. It's just, like julia give pam a ride i know someone give pam a ride because like they're making fun of him and they're just like yeah he's creepy and like yeah and, it's and like, they're making yeah all these jokes about like oh arlene looks like that
1: lap dance got mike laid because yeah. now pam's gonna go sleep with him yeah. and pam's like that's not what i'm doing yeah
0: he's old enough to be my dad yeah. yeah and it's like yeah you all are aware that this guy's kind of creepy and maybe gonna creep on pam this car's weird and like i know you don't have like a lot of love for pam but like How's Do you sister? respect her oh. right to live? Like, yeah. like, take her home, Jesus, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or, or call her a cab, something. I know. And I, I think for me, my favorite part of this entire film is probably the scene where all four of those women are in the restaurant mm. having that quintessential Tarantino conversation. Because I think really what Tarantino, for me, has to offer that other filmmakers can't offer as well as Tarantino can is is just really great dialogue he's known for it it's really known for his dialogue and so it's interesting to hear you know the quintessential tarantino like it happens in reservoir dogs right where they're like everybody's sitting at the table and the camera is kind of moving around the table right so the point is is that like what's relevant is the dialogue right so we Mm -hmm. should be listening to it right and the the dialogue and the conversations they have are really interesting again like thinking about how all of these women are simultaneously like actually really supportive of each other but also do tear each other down in a lot of ways right it's this scene is really interesting in the way that they like really challenge and push against rape culture but also simultaneously reinforce it Mm -hmm. Uh, you know and it's it's interesting that there's like some really deeply rooted gender roles so like Kim and Zoe are like we're girls but we're also gearheads yes. and it's just like so as women who have grown up in the society have you not come to the conclusion that you can be both right like you right. don't it's not al- or like but also it's like and also right not but and
1: no i think kim and zoe are really interesting for how they stand out in this more "Quote unquote masculine way. They're a bit more masculine. They're the two that wear the long pants. They're the only two whose legs we like. Never see their feet. We never see their legs. Their feet. Their (laughs) Um, feet. You know, which I love for them. I love that in the second group, it almost feels less voyeuristic just because we have so many like different. Like in the first group, they're all the girls and they're like tank tops and their short shorts yeah. and their little sandals. Like there's something kind of like sameness about them. Whereas in the second group, we have like one girl in her little skirt, yeah. another girl, you know, in jeans, another girl in these kind of loose baggy pants, you know. Yeah. There's like more variety in how they can like express themselves. Yeah. But I think it's totally. also the fact that it's these women who are not sexualized in the same way as the others is really interesting because it's like like the most we get is like we get a little shot of Zoe's abs when she's on the front of the car. That's, like, the most voyeuristic we get for
0: her. Yeah. And it's like, is that because they're more masculine? Right. They are so masculine. And it's interesting because I feel like a movie like this – you know this play and like reference to an exploitation film especially like a women in prison film like the sheer absence of men except first not man mike you right, know yeah. um and how like you would think that this is where somebody might put in like a lesbian subtext mm-hmm. or text right yeah, yeah, and it's so interesting when zoe gets in the car and they start talking like zoe is the one who like asks if anybody's getting any dick Right. It's just like, hey, let's talk about heterosexual sex. Right. Let's establish all of us as heterosexual women. No,
1: that really was (laughs) a part that stood out because I think you're right that the dialogue for the most part is like pretty good in this movie. Yeah. That that is a thing that Tarantino is like pretty great at. Yeah. But like the one part that always stands out to me as just sort of like weird and uncomfortable is the part where they start to where like Zoe and Kim are like yeah, yeah these guys and these guys where it almost sounds so like so compulsory heterosexuality yeah. like especially when we have like previous to that we have like an almost I don't I don't know to me maybe it's not meant to be but there's like an almost kind of fun part of Abby calling Lee through the window and them talking, like, Uh through the window and, like, showing off the magazine and Uh being like, Lee, you look so hot in this. That's, like, this, like, really kind of fun, charming moment of girls, sort of, like, women talking to each other and, like, them having their conversation in the diner where they're all, like, talking to each other about whatever they want to talk about. And then it's, like, when they talk about men...
0: Yeah, well, and also, and in, in, again, in the diner, that's when we really established that Lee is, like, she's in this group, but much more on the outside, the way yeah. Arlene is as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just, like, she's kind of, like, Zoe and Kim and Abby have known each other forever. They're telling the story about when they were working on a movie in the Philippines, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, Lee is kind of, like, new to their group, yeah. you know? And, like, not that they don't like Lee, right, but, yeah. like, she is kind of, like... Yeah, maybe they've only just become friends because yeah. it
1: just so happened that Abby's doing her makeup and... Yeah. hair for this movie yeah, you know yeah, like it could yeah. be a, even a
0: really recent friendship but then we also obviously we see the use of lee to like help us get to know the other characters better yeah. like oh zoe is from new zealand not australia yeah got well, it that's you know an important distinction uh, and yeah. like zoe is accident prone and yet seems to always be fine yeah always know? lands on her feet like yeah. a cat yeah. <laughs> zoe yeah. the cat they call yeah. her yeah uh and then of course the l- literal it's not act 1 it's act 2 the act 2 gun of establishing the fact that that, that kim has, has a gun, gun. Yeah. yeah which is again probably my favorite exchange of dialogue in the entire film right yeah. did you know did you know kim has a gun yeah <laughs> did i know yes do i approve no, no. right and and kim's like again kind of like that pushback against rape culture of just like i don't know what utopia you live in but like I need a gun. Yeah. What does she say? A oh, bitch need a gun. Yeah.
1: She's like, well, yeah. if I'm going to do my laundry at midnight, yeah. two in the morning, and then
0: and then you know Lee makes the the like, well, don't do your laundry at midnight, you know. Yeah. And then what is Kim's response? Fuck that. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, Kim, fuck that. Yeah, you should be able to do Allow your laundry, to do at your laundry, whatever yeah. you
1: want to, without having to fear for your, you know, yeah. fear about getting raped or whatever. And
0: then Kim. And Abby have the the gun safety talk about like, well, you know, people who carry guns are more likely to get shot. And like, OK, that's like a different thing happening yeah. right now. You know, yeah good I mean, point. I feel like, yeah, they both have good points. <laughs> they you do. Know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we establish that Kim has a gun and it gets to come back around and she gets to shoot Mike with it later. Yeah. And I love that. I, I loved do. it so much.
1: And I think it's another instance of her being more masculinized or something in the sense of. She is somebody who is going to protect herself at all costs in a way that we never had with, like, the first group of women. Yeah. we're like, yes, Arlene is going to set her boundaries with these mm-hmm. guys, you know, but she's also going to let them push her a little bit. Like, she's going to do the lap dance and yeah. stuff, you know. And, like, when it comes down to it, they don't even have a chance, really, to respond to Stuntman Mike once they realize he's going to kill them. Yeah, you know, it's too late. Pam, yeah, 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 even Pam who has a little bit of time to know, she's just scared and all she has to use is like her words. Kim and Zoe and Abby yeah. are the only ones who actually get a fight back. And I just think it's interesting in this movie, like, what does it mean? Like what are the implications of the fact that the more like the women who we don't like sexually exploit as much and the women who are like maybe more considered masculine because they're the gearheads who aren't like as into the pretty and pink girl yeah. movies. Like what does it mean that they're the ones who can destroy stuntman Mike when none of the other women could who are like too girly I guess (laughs) like it's a weird implication because even then when they do turn the tables on him and Kim's like driving the car against his car and like smashing her car into the back of his car and she makes it like I'm fucking you in the ass. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I've got my dick in your ass. Like she yeah. gets so like she, oh. they
0: start they catcall him. Yeah. And and, and what and does he do? He literally whimpers. Yeah, he really does. Yeah, he whimpers. Yeah. Yeah, he really um, does. I but actually, it's just, yeah, it's
1: just interesting. Cause at the one hand, you want to be like, yeah, fuck yeah, women. Yeah, get him. You know, fuck they're getting guy. their revenge, they're doing it, yeah. and you want to support that. And I do support that. And I yeah. fucking love it. And I understand. Like, yeah, this is kind of like this really cool feminist movie. Yeah. But then again, it's another one of those tensions where it's like, but also how come it's only these like more masculine gearhead women who do the same job as stuntman Mike who are able to like defeat him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like why can't just feminine women, you know? Right. And, and I wonder like masculinity still comes out on top.
0: Yeah, it sure does. And I, I almost wonder if like, that's why none of these characters are like explicitly queer Mm. Where, like, they do – Tarantino does seem to go out of the way to, like, make sure all th- all four of them are talking favorably about heterosexual sex, right, you know? Yeah. And – I almost wonder if, like, again, like, if one of them were to be a lesbian or in some other way queer, that that would defeminize them further. Right. Which is not true, but, like, but, would yeah. that but I serve see, yeah. that function in the film? I know. yeah. Because I'm
1: sitting there like, I'm clocking Abernathy wearing a rainbow necklace.
0: I, I see and, you. Yeah, and then, <laughs> I mean, also, I think I was reading some stuff online about how, like, Zoe's got kind of, like, a dykey vibe. Yeah. You know? And plus we have the... Um, like you said, because of rent, I do
1: have yes. this sort of energy from Tracy Tom's, where I'm like, "Well, you played such a wonderful lesbian, yeah. That that's yeah, you know, <laughs> just keep it up, you
0: yeah.
1: know." Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do also, though, just want to say that there's, you know, the dyke in me sees the dyke in them, yeah, and I love it too, yeah. yeah. You know, even though I do have this like weird tension where I'm like, well. It is sort of like masculinity still coming out top, and yeah. they have to like demasculize him to defeat him. Yeah, you know, which I'm like kind of weird about. Yeah, especially with it being written by a man, that yeah. is like weird. But also, I love it because I'm like, yeah, girls, get him, get Fuck that guy. and My favorite, yeah. like maybe my favorite image in the in the whole movie, yeah. actually, is right when after they decide, you know what? He just like fucked with us. He just made zoe go flying off the yeah. front of our car and, and then went off like he fun. like laughing like he just had the most yeah. fun. yeah yeah you know and uh kim was able to shoot him and he ran off and then they are like you know what? do you want to go kill that guy should we go, yeah should, should we, we go just kill, kill, kill that guy? guy and they're like
0: yeah. and they all agree yes. like immediately
1: they agree and i love the image of zoe she's like oh wait before we go and she runs off and gets some like like a long stick of rebar or yeah. whatever the fuck she, finds. she gets a she, weapon she gets a weapon yeah. and she gets on just like Inch, like half into the window almost the like she's riding a
0: horse exactly like yeah. she's riding a riding horse and yeah. like she
1: has a jousting stick and yeah. it's this white car so uh, she's like this total like white knight yeah. on this white horse going to go slay the evil black knight yeah which is such a like big hero
0: yeah chivalry isn't dead yeah. it's a butch sort of energy <laughs> but i also i did notice I couldn't help but notice I was like Zoe you literally almost died because you were on top of a car. <laughs> like, maybe sit in the car. And she doesn't stay that way. Like no, it's, no. it's the shot so yeah. they can go off, like, yeah, white knight kind of symbolism. Yeah. But then, then she's, like, actually yeah, okay. in the car. Yeah. I was I'll like, okay, good. In start. We're, we're in the car. <laughs> good, 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 good. good, good. Um,
1: anyway, I think something that we're going to talk about later is sort of, like, critic responses and also just sort of, like, viewers' responses yeah. to this movie. We're going to talk about this. But one thing that came up when I was, like, looking into all of that... Is that Quentin Tarantino himself talking about this movie, he talks about how he was really interested in the slasher genre, but knew that it was he said that it was a very rigid genre and that like you couldn't really do it and break it up and like mess with it because then it would no longer be a slasher. Yeah. And so he's like, so if I was going to do a slasher, I had to do it very much my own way. And he was talking about this film with this. So I was kind of curious just to know from you who I feel like is more... More of an expert on the slasher film than I am. Yeah. Um. How much, yeah, how much you do read this movie as a slasher? In what way is this a slasher?
0: So, yeah, because I was I was reading, I read a couple of articles. I read uh, Death Proof, colon, Recontextualizing the Slasher Genre <laughs> uh, by Daniel Rasmussen. They, they do mention at the beginning of that article that, like... What Quentin Tarantino does is he loves a genre film, right? right? And all of his films are pretty clearly genre films, but what he likes to do is fuck with them. Right. To like, kind of deconstruct it, right? Uh, like Reservoir Dogs, it's a heist film where but, we like, don't see a it? heist. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an after like, a heist film. <laughs> and Pulp Fiction. It's literally called Pulp Fiction, right. right? It's it's a pulp noir movie. And then I think about Kill Bill as, like, a revenge film, mm-hmm. right? And, like, the way that he messes with that. Right, you know? and that how he's also playing with, like, samurai films and, like, westerns. Yeah, and, and how, you know, if you're paying attention to Quentin Tarantino's career and, like, what he creates, Death Proof absolutely could be, like, a deconstructed slasher, right? So mm-hmm. if you'll remember in our Scream episode, I kind of gave, like, a rundown of the slasher genre, right? Um, it really solidifies itself in the late 70s with... Halloween right and it's which, like, of course is the era that he's playing with in this grindhouse thing very true like yeah. 70s yep yeah. and so remember our girl Carol J. Clover yep the writer of men women and chainsaws yep. and so according to her there are six crucial elements of the slasher subgenre right right yeah and So I was remembering that yeah. I was
1: thinking about that when I read that quote yeah if I may just sort of take some guesses sure Yeah. because the first thing that I thought of was like well we do have our our actual slasher yeah right yeah um, he's not like master or anything, but he does have very much a signature weapon that does kind of mask him
0: very much. Yeah, you know, with well, his car, and then the way that he does mask himself by like showing one version of himself yeah. on the outside, and also how a lot who, of times what he who he actually is and what he's actually yeah. capable of,
1: and the number yeah. of times where we see him sort of like behind a camera or hiding somewhere so that people can't see him, where he's like lurking. I was like, he does give off villain and a slasher vibes, yes, yeah, totally. And where it's like how also in those sort of films, how it's like not. The main character but it's not like the final girl but the villain the slasher guy who yeah. gets carried on to new films like we care about jason we care yeah. about you know freddy, freddy. Yep. we care about those people yeah. you know you can have new people getting killed but like those villains who matter and we get that with this these two parts where it's like we follow stuntman mike yeah. through it we follow the killer through it yeah
0: so, like, I see it from his perspective. And and also the way that the film is set up with the cinematography choices that Tarantino is making. It's very much like we do get put on Stuntman Mike's side. Right, Like yeah. we We're kind following of, through him. We become a voyeur as well. Mm-hmm. Like, we like I, I know that like I get excited every time like I'm about to see that car crash and watch all four of those women yeah. die in their own special way like you know I become I and the audience becomes like complicit in the bloodlust right yeah totally. which is a very slasher yeah. thing um, so so and, and it, depending on what you look at like you'll find any number of quote unquote crucial elements in a slasher right. these are just the ones Carol J. Right, but, yeah. so we've got the killer which is Mike right Um, do you remember any others or should I just well tell I know you? that there's like the final girl and of I course. feel like
1: that's one that we don't really have but that does get played with in this yeah
0: it definitely gets played with yeah so we've got uh another crucial aspect is the location Mm -hmm. right which is happening in austin texas and lebanon tennessee so like i to me that could be extrapolated to like the american south Mm -hmm. maybe also even maybe just roads roads yeah the highways the highway system yeah um there has to be a specific weapon in this case it's a car which is like a play on on those weapons um there needs to be a specific set of victims which in this case is just women Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) women existing (laughs) right which is classic and i think it is interesting playing with like i said before how they kind of play with the idea of that virgin final girl yes how all of these women are women who like we kind of know from the jump aren't women they're like teases they're women who don't put out right who then get like punished for that instead of like in a classic slasher where we have like the woman dying right
0: after having sex you know yeah yeah, yeah. um so and then there's also the shock yeah like the shock of like all four of those women getting killed in that car accident once right because we spend so much time with them and i feel like even with
1: slashers it tends to be like kind of a slower like Somebody will get picked off and then somebody else. Yeah, but it's like all four at well. It's like nothing for
0: the better part of an hour, Yeah, right? And then Pam and then all everybody four of those else. women in the car, yeah. right? Just back to There's back. There's like no build
1: up to it. It just happens.
0: Or to me, the shock could also be in the second part where Mike kind of he loses his upper hand but he almost kind of gives it away. Right. Because the moment he gets shot. He he thinks they're done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. He's
0: like okay we're over.
1: Yeah. And then he gets shot. Yes. And he turns into a baby. Yeah. He
0: starts literally whimpering. Yeah. No a
1: lot of people have talked about how he's just kind of like a bully. Yeah. And how it's so a thing with bullies where the moment where they're not in like in charge and control anymore. They're not the big man anymore. They just like blubber and just lose it. And we do see him just like whimpering and crying. Yeah, And it's so apparent
0: like what the shift is there. Like the huge. Huge change that happens there, that it is kind of shocking. That that, it's, so, that could e- be a shock, change, right? And then, of course, the idea of the final girl. And it's interesting because at the end of this film, we technically have three, if not four, final girls, mm-hmm. right? Because Lee is still around; she's right, just yeah. back at the that weird farm place, right? Yeah. Um. So there's Kim, Zoe, and Abby. Like they're yeah. all the final girl, and they all get the final kill. But Abby, really Abby is it. the one who gets the final kill, right? So yeah. she's kind of set up as a final girl in that way, right?
1: Yeah. Um. And but all so, the other women.
0: And get a good hit in oh yeah that. they they get theirs for sure yeah and so it's interesting like this goes back to the parallels between the the groups right it's like Arlene is kind of is sort of set up as a final girl you know she is uh set up to be the most virginal right and also the one who's a little bit outside of the big partying that's yes going yes on. she's a bit of an outsider exactly she yeah. just doesn't
1: know them as well yeah
0: You know, she she has a conversation about making out with with Nate, but then stopping it there. So she's kind of the most virginal. Right. You know, she is the one who gives Mike the lap dance, which is sort of setting her up to be engaging in something sexual. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which could, again, like lead to her untimely demise right? right? for engaging in something sexual. right? Right. And then also Mike, especially the way that he presents himself to the people He's like trying to victimize, you know. Yeah. Um. He he does come off as like kind of sexless, you know. We don't really think of like older people as having sexuality, and he's a little older, right? Yeah. Um. He's kind of goofy, affable, you know. Yeah. And
1: he has all those moments where he kind of comes off as like uncool, like when he is talking, like he approaches Julia in this very like negging way, (laughs) where he's like, "Oh, are you famous or something?" When we like, we know he's already been told. You know what? Yeah. He watched her. he was listening to her her radio show like we know that he knows she's famous yeah but he approaches her like oh are you famous and like has his initial conversation and then in middle of that conversation before it's over starts to have like this almost sneeze moment and it's like really awkward where he like almost sneezes but then doesn't and then just like awkwardly leaves and like julia and i i don't know i don't remember if it's arlene or whatever girl she's with they just sort of like look at each other and sort of laugh to themselves because it's like what the fuck that guy was a like a dork a nerd what was that
0: let's keep smoking weed Yeah, Uh, yeah This this
1: sort of, like, yeah, that he has this kind of, like, harmless...
0: (laughs) So, and that's another really interesting part about the lap dance scene, which we've already talked about extensively, right? Um, That these two kind of relatively sexless characters... Or desexualized, maybe. Desexualized characters Like, whether or not they want to be. (laughs) Engaging in something. Pretty sexual. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly sensual, right? Right, yeah. Um, Maybe one person watching this for the first time or or viewing it through a slasher lens would see Arlene being set up as the final girl Uh, but then she gets a tire to the face right at the same time as the other women
1: too so it's not even like she gets a special death yeah
0: yeah no she doesn't get to outlive them no it's just the same as everybody else she's just another woman and then yeah it is Abby who actually gets the death blow the like the leg up crushing the skull right Mm -hmm. Um. so you know that that raises the question so does that mean Abby's the final girl but then I do see so many more connections between Abby and Julia than Abby and Arlene yeah I mean I think Abby and Arlene have a lot of similar
1: temperaments they're they are both the ones who like didn't go all the way with their yeah 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 they're both the ones who like that's true yeah you want to be seen as brave they don't want to be seen as cowardly like that's how they get Arlene to do the lap dance and that's what Abernathy keeps you know being like, you gotta let me be in the car. Yeah. I swear I won't be like a coward about it. Like yeah. I'll be cool, I won't say a word, I'll be chill, you know? So I like I see the connection between them. But I also get what you mean about her and Julia, where they have the
0: the legs and the back yeah. of the car, like visually. And and to me, I I really just would have thought of Julia as our final girl for act one. Uh, just because like she's I feel like the final girl is usually a main character. Mm. And like Julia, to me, is kind of the main character of that first group of of Mm -hmm. women. Like, we're, you know, obviously, I mean, the first shot we see is Arlene's feet, right? Right. But, like, then we see Julia, Julia, like, in in her her home. home, on her couch, you know. And, like, it sort of feels like the the story is about her and, like, revolving around, like, her success in radio. Yeah. And we get to learn a lot about Julia. Like, really what she wants to do is, like, start her own record label, yeah. you know? Yeah. She's like, okay, yeah, she's got aspirations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is just one step for yeah. her. Yeah. No, I think she has a
1: lot of, like, main character energy. <laughs> she really you does, know? yeah. But I think she has main character energy for a different type of movie or show or yeah. whatever like i feel like she would be like the carry of the sex in the city you yeah. know she would be the one who would we'd see the story through who would be like telling the story on her radio show you yeah. know like when they're living their life as like woo we're doing a girls weekend yeah. like yeah julia's running this shit but that's not the kind of movie we're in you know i feel like yeah. in terms of like a slasher even though we see julia first she doesn't come across to me as like the main character of a slasher
0: Right. She she's too cool she is too cool which is probably why i like her so much she's so fucking cool yeah so we do in a way see like a twisting of those crucial elements of the slasher subgenre and it's interesting this film kind of breaks down again the like purpose or the significance of splitting the film into like two kind of separate but connected narratives you know mm-hmm. and so uh this quote structurally the move of restarting the film's narrative with a new quote-unquote replacement group of women is the central way in which Death Proof adopts a mirrored or diptych-like form. Uh, at the same time, non-negligible differences exist between the the both uh, the women in both groups. Thus, the first group largely comprises the white women in their early twenties. That's mm. true, right? Um, while the second group is more diverse in terms of age and race. The first group of women suggests the, like an identifiable archetype of the slasher mm-hmm. victims, right? Uh, while the second group really reflects like Quentin Tarantino's. Uh, attempt to subvert right. the slasher z- genre. I see that. Yeah, which I, I thought was really interesting. And I, I did was also wondering about, you know, the only person of color we have in the first part is Julia. And then we get um, Abby and Kim who are, like, people of color in the second part, right? And it, it's interesting, especially with Kim, and we we already talked about this, how, like, she kind of does have the dyke energy a little mm-hmm. bit, even though it's very clearly stated she's got a man. <laughs> who used to be somebody else's man, Apparently, but don't worry about that. <laughs> she's got a history. Um, And so I thought, like, Kim's a really interesting character, and, and also, like, Abby is, you know, a person of color, but she's quite light-skinned, like Julia is, mm. you know? And I'm almost kind of wondering, like, the differentiation in this film between, like, of, because, like, femininity and, like, f- you know, and gender is a huge, like, right. theme in this film. But, like, femininity, but also, like, the difference between what we expect, like, white femininity yes. to look like and, like people of color feminine right there's white like. femininity yeah and then there's well
1: yeah because that's another part of the interesting aspect of like the masculinization of both zoe and yeah. kim as our gearheads. yeah but like the history of black women especially darker skinned black women yeah. like the massage noir of like these sort of women getting like masculinized or like yeah. desexualized you know whether that's what they want or not yeah. well at the same time
0: we have on the other hand Like, Jungle Julia getting all this exoticization and this fetishization. And then and she does kind of get, like, blamed for it, right? Like, what does Pam say about, like, she probably had to suck a couple cocks to, like, get those billboards up, right? And then we hear from Julia's, like, really? I'm trying to, like, I'm working really hard to, like, start my own label, you know? Yeah,
1: she's, like, doing it.
0: Yeah, and it's just like, oh, you were, you know, you just traded sex and got what you wanted. And And it's it's just like, like, well, it's actually a lot more complicated than that, right? And and it it is interesting because, again, Kim is... She is the driver, right? Mm-hmm. And she again, she's the one who's doing that catcalling. Yeah, you know, uh, she's the one like talking about tapping that ass. You yeah. know, and and kind of again becoming more masculine, masquin- mas- yeah. masculine, masculinized, <laughs> masculinized, Mascul- <laughs> masculinized. That's a word. Yeah, um, and it's it's interesting to like look at stuntman mike because like he is this hyper masculine and almost sort of like satirical reimagining of a slasher villain he's not like this faceless masked killer Mm -hmm. with no emotion who like never runs only walks and yet still somehow catches up to to their victims the way the way jason does or the way that uh michael myers Myers does does, yeah yeah
1: Yeah, no he's very much the opposite he goes very fast fast, to keep up with
0: these women possibly 200 miles an hour yeah um He does embody, like, toxic masculinity in its most deceptive form, Mm. right? As, like, through the veil of, like, an affable, friendly, just old guy at a bar. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, whatever, he's too old. He's He's harmless. He's of another generation. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, he is... Stuntman Mike is in so many ways out of time, mm-hmm. right? Like he's kind of got like this weird pompadour yeah. haircut, That's like one of greaser the haircut that yeah. the other
1: guys at the bar make fun of him for. Yeah. It's not just like how he eats his nachos, yeah. but it's also that he looks so dated. Yeah. He looks like such an, an old version of what a cool guy would
0: look like, but now yeah. it just
1: makes him look just old. kind of dorky. And yeah, old. dorky and, yeah. and out of, out out of, of touch. Time. Right.
0: And I almost wonder how much he is representing either purposefully or not purposefully. Is representing Quentin Tarantino because like have thoughts on that? Too. Okay, yeah, because yeah, Tarantino like he loves to play with a genre, right? Mm-hmm. He loves to loves to have his films take place in the past, and, and I mean, you know, he's got a lot of films that take place like in contemporary times, but you know, like uh, Django Unchained, uh, right. Hateful Eight, Glorious Bastards. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, all of the like the homages and the ways in which she kind of like tricks the viewer into thinking that it's the 70s when it's actually contemporary time.
1: Did you see there was this uh, Death Proof article on Pace magazine by Brianna Ziegler? Okay, Just because you made me think of it with this one quote where she talks about Tarantino, where she says Tarantino is fond of telling stories about women getting revenge on abusive men. Yeah. Um, perhaps they are each one piece in a puzzle of internalized culpability made most explicit with Death Proof. But Death Proof is his only film to act as a clear metatextual allegory for the corrupt industry Tarantino works in and benefits from. As Nick Newman pointed out, Death Proof could be seen as Tarantino's first revisionist history.
0: Ah. A film where
1: the women in the film industry take power back from the immoral, influential men who control it. So going back to what you're saying about how Tarantino maybe sees himself in Stuntman Mike or something, yeah. it's that same idea where maybe this is kind of a movie about the film industry and Tarantino's own role in
0: it. Or the way that I see it is like, maybe this is Tarantino kind of telling on himself a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like whether it's because on purpose or not. Because yeah. we need to remember, again, this is a double feature, right? And like, this is was made with the help of, of the Weinsteins. Right. Right? We need to like, remember the the circumstance and the the context in which this film is made. Right. right? Yeah. 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 Because then if we think
1: of this as, yeah, in that context, it does become really telling that all of the bad guys in this film, even like not just stuntman Mike, all of the other men in this film, they're all pieces of shit. Yeah. And like what that means coming from a man in an industry that is definitely at this point, but back then too, known for its misogyny and known for just chewing up women and spitting them out. I mean, having like we talked about Rose McGowan last time and how she got yeah. really like barred from uh, like her career was yeah, really she got Yeah, because of the Weinsteins, yeah. you know, who are playing a role in this film, you know, in the production of this film that like, yeah, the guilt that maybe is behind this movie, whether he realizes it or not, you know, yeah. I don't want to talk about like, I don't his know, actual, yeah. like, we don't know his yeah, actual I intentions, but I think there is a reading there of seeing a parallel between if not Tarantino, then like the film industry in general in stuntman mike yeah and how it is these other women in the film industry who take him down these like new up-and-coming women right who are like we're the new stunt people yeah
0: we're the we're girls but we're also gearheads yeah right like and like we are stuntmen and women yeah like you know yeah it's like i'm i'm both of these things and i can be both of those things i think
1: there is something in that okay i feel like we've been talking sort of around a lot of like themes of this film yeah and because we're talking about themes, I think that's a good time to go to a literary corner. Literary corner. Because there are actually two very explicit literary references there are. in this smoothie that made me very excited.
0: One of which... And it, then very disappointed. Oh, sad. One of which is my boy Robert Frost.
1: Yeah. And then the other reference is that the sheriff at one point calls stuntman Mike Frankenstein. Yeah. Which stood out to me. Right. And is thing- it because he's got a scar on his face? You know, that's why I was, like, curious. I was, like, okay, why Frankenstein? And I was, like, really excited to sort of think about it. And the more I thought about it in terms of, like, the themes and what's going on, I was, like, not making a lot of fruitful connections. I was, like, okay, Frankenstein's got a lot to do with, like, science and modernity, and like and, like, outside. Mm -hmm. And, like,
0: what we can do versus what we should do. Yeah, I was, like, I'm
1: not really. And then so I was, like, okay, what are other people saying about this? And then, like, what I found out, which I think you already knew. Because you mentioned it about the Robert Frost poem, at least, is that these are just references to other movies? Yeah, both of them. They're just yep, references. They are. They yep. are not references to the actual literary works. Yep. Like the reason, like so, I, it doesn't help us to look at the themes of these, you know, these books or these poems because yeah. that's not what he's doing. What Tarantino's doing is just seeding in more of what he does of like these other previous ones. The Frankenstein reference i mean this is according to imdb i did not figure this out myself um it's apparently from a roger corman film called death race 2000 yeah from 1975 yep where there's a race car driver named frankenstein Uh, so that might even be explicitly what the sheriff is referring to because he's
0: like a race car driver yeah
1: guy you know and apparently that guy was played by an actor david carradine who's also in kill bill
0: yeah david carradine
1: yeah r.i.p Yeah. yeah so there's like a reference there. And then the same with Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening. Yeah. Julia's whole thing on the radio show yeah. was that if anybody comes up to Arlene, calls her butterfly, buys Bies her a drink. drink and recites these words, uh-huh. "The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep." Which of course is from Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Yep. First came out in like 1923. Probably one of his more
0: popular works.
1: Yeah. And then the 70s movie, a thriller called Telephone from 1977, it was used as like this this like signal they yeah. would like call up Russian sleeper agents and like activate them by yeah. reciting this poem and saying their name yeah which is why it's always like butterfly and then the poem uh-huh. it's because you have to say the name too to awaken them to right. get them to do these things so it's like it wasn't actually about the poem it was no. about the movie
0: and I was like mm. yeah. so yeah again like just like we talked about with Planet Terror like the pastiche yeah and the reference it's very it's much just, that just more reference yeah
1: I, I could come up with a little bit more for the poem of how it does kind of fit because it's so much more of a feature in this movie than like an offhand Frankenstein reference right so there are some things that I could think of one of the main themes of the poem is that this is a story of a moment of like quiet observation in woods that the narrator does not own like one of the first lines is whose woods these are I think I know Hmm. and then he goes on to say but you know the owner of these woods they have a home like near the village so they won't know that I'm here so like stretching that to relate to stuntman mike's very explicit voyeurism because yeah. so much of the film is bent watching him watch, watch these women them. yeah or watching these women as him and or, we
0: know they're being watched yeah.
1: and they depending depending yeah. on
0: which character knows they're being watched yeah too. yeah yeah so if we start but to sometimes see, they don't yeah yeah
1: so then if we start to see the woods in these poems as the women that mike is st- stalking Ooh. does he see them as lovely dark and, and deep, deep. You know, in that case, like, that idea of being both threatened by them and yeah. drawn to them in the same way you can be with the wilderness. Yeah. You know, like, he wants to tame them. Yeah. While also kind of loving the fact that they resist being tamed, that, like, cat and mouse is sort of yeah. what he likes about it. And so, like, then he gets stuck in this place of only watching and not being able to tame and, like, feeling kind of, like, impotent. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. like, is that really where his desire to kill comes from? And then it's like, if the woods are the women's bodies. mm and then, like, the owner of the woods is, like, the actual women, Like, yeah, yeah, who they yeah. are as persons, as people. Yeah. Like, this idea that, like, yeah, sure, they own those bodies, but they can't stop him from looking. And, yeah. like, they won't even know he's there. So I do think that the poem has a little bit of something. There's something there. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that this poem
0: takes place on a road. Right? There you go. It takes yeah. place on a road. Like, yeah. honestly, if that was it, I'd be like, well, that's better than nothing. And, and also how, like, I think about Robert Frost as, like, a prolific... An American poet, yes, right. He's very and much an American poet. The idea poet. of the highways and also these cars as like American, yeah, yeah. I think there is that, and like, yeah, they're like the whole point is like this is taking place on a road, and we do see again with like the references in the pastiche, we see multiple references to American car exploitation films, right? Vanishing Point is brought up explicitly several times. Uh, Two Lane Blacktop, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. These car movies are being referenced by. Stuntman Mike and Zoe, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, we get, yeah. And then also, we do see that uh, Zoe is not American. She's Mm -hmm. from New Zealand, right? Right. And so, like, what is her experience as a non American and, like, her understanding of America through American media Mm. and cars?
1: Right. Yeah. And actually, while you're talking about that, yeah,
0: I would. I know
1: that you had more to say about cars in America.
0: Sure. And if we want to just get those thoughts in right here. Let's do it. Um, Yeah, it's interesting because we see Zoe as, again, she's kind of like our outsider. She's not from the United States. She's from New Zealand, right? And then also the way she talks about it is like she's maybe never been to the United States before until this time. Yeah. She she does say, like, because she she subscribed to the local paper, right? Yes. Uh, So she's planning, right? Um, She does sort of seem to identify America with Detroit muscle cars.
1: Yeah. Right. Cause
0: like she finds, like, she's like, I want to drive, and she says all the crazy car stuff I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. A white Dodge Charger. Yeah. From Vanishing Point. Yeah. It's like from the movie. Right. Yeah. And she gets to like live her American Detroit muscle car fantasy. Yeah. Right. Love that and, for her. And like the way that like in the second act, Kim Zoe, and Abby all get to kind of have a quintessential American male. Experience, mm. right? I was thinking. I I kind of posed myself this question. Actually, maybe I wrote it because I was posing it for you. But, um, <laughs> you don't need to answer it. Um. So like thinking about how the characters, especially the characters in the second half, all kind of in different ways embody like an other, mm-hmm. especially for like mid to late century America, like when this is all supposed to be referencing. Right. You know yeah. So especially if we are reflecting the other right mm-hmm. through exploitation films of the 1970s mm-hmm. right so like how do they go against the idea of their otherness and have like an experience of like a capital R capital A real american you mm-hmm. know cuz like zoe is not american right yeah you know so like there's that right uh kim is a black woman mm-hmm. already Not set up for success. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we get Lee as sort of like naive, a little young, Mm. and again, literally a cheerleader. Yeah. Right. She is like quintessentially the girl,
1: the girl who gets like the most
0: exploited. And and, and, like and then and she gets left behind too, right? Yeah. Um like she's the one who never really gets to break that mold. Yeah. But Abby does. And Kim and Zoe, right, they get to have their, like, we are driving a Detroit muscle car on, like, the back roads of Lebanon, Tennessee. It is interesting,
1: now that you mentioned that Lee is the one who gets left behind. Because what I said about her being, like, the quintessential one, I mean the quintessential one in terms of who we see on our screen. Yeah. Whereas the others are others to the point where we don't even see them on their screen. We don't even see the ways that they're getting exploited and, like, ground up by Hollywood or whatever
0: society. Right, because, yeah, because Lee is the actress, yeah, she's, she's on screen. Yeah. Whereas, like, Kim and Zoe are stunt people right yeah and so like they're on screen but like we in a way see we see that you don't want to know that they're there yeah. right it's like to you know suspend the disbelief yeah and then and then abby is doing hair and makeup she's yeah. she's off camera she's backstage yeah. right so and yeah it's
1: interesting that they're the ones who then get to have that like you said real american yeah they get very to,
0: white masculine yeah <laughs> experience with, with these like car exploitation films and like driving cars fast you know yeah and and i also think that that goes back to what this movie is like mainly referencing which is faster pussycat kill kill which which, in the spirit of full disclosure, I have not seen. Um, but what I understand about it is about these uh, three women, go go dancers. Oh. Right. Um, it's these three women who just kind of seem like they've had it. And they go on like these car chases and they're like terrorized men. Oh. It sounds great. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really sounds fantastic. And so, yeah, like the exploitation genre, specifically car exploitation, right, mm-hmm. is very much like. You know who who's allowed to be interested in cars? Yeah, not usually women. Yeah, right, and not usually women of color right. either. Right. Yeah. Um. So it's just it's cool. Like I really like that the way that like they get to like shed their otherness as like they the the women in part in Act Two are sort of like the the genre being turned on its head, the subversion, right. and they're like, yeah, we get to drive fast Detroit muscle cars too. Nice, and we get to like take down this guy who is, yeah, trying to who thinks that he victims. owns that yeah but like this is but this is mine like this is yeah, yeah. this is not for girls girls can't blah blah, blah blah. yeah whatever. um which is just which something is really, yeah that's yeah. how he's always
1: gotten away with it is because like he's always doing this thing that's like this very masculine thing not for girls girls
0: yeah. don't know about cars and again he is uh, stuntman mike does really represent like an older way of doing things mm-hmm. and his sort of inability or unwillingness to move on from that and understand that like oh yeah like this actually is an experience for everyone you know like uh, I don't own this I never actually did and I think that really goes into a a lot of how I feel this movie hits on and is quite critical of patriarchy right yeah which I I love that anytime we can be critical of patriarchy I'm all for it because yeah it's very focused on this like kind of very toxic masculinity I think it's also a sort of again a very patriarchal thing of like really only seeing society as hierarchy yes and this is the thing is like the minute that mike loses his upper hand Mm -hmm. which he kind of gives up like he doesn't go all the way to make sure all three of those women are dead yeah he kind of lets them go and he just kind of assumes like well you're not what are you gonna do right yeah yeah because he doesn't know that kim has a gun right (laughs) Right, yeah um and so like once he loses his upper hand he never gets it back right? right and so to me if he's like representing the patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? Like the patriarchy can't lose its upper hand because once it does, it's never getting it back, right? Right, yeah. and you know, we, not being able to understand or view a society or community as anything other than a hierarchy, where like someone's got to be on top, right? And if you're not on the top, you're the victim, which is how you have all these like sort of like men's yeah. rights activists, you yeah. know, uh, to the
1: side of like they can't imagine women having rights in a way that doesn't then take rights away from men or like put them into an inferior position when that's like, no, that's not what's happening.
0: No, that's not what's happening. That's not what equality is. (laughs) And the the idea that it's just, it's better to victimize than to be a victim. Yeah. And that like, there's no possible way that a, a society can exist where it's not one of those two things. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then even the women are pushed into a position of having to go along with that where they then terrorize mike in the exact same way that he terrorized yep, they them. start catcalling in, him yeah they start
0: fucking with his car tapping, yeah. that, ass. tapping that ass yeah um, but
1: one literary reference that i kept thinking of the whole time is there's this quote by margaret atwood that once upon a time like she gave a speech where she tells the story why do men feel threatened by women i asked a male friend of mine they're afraid women will laugh at them he said undercut their worldview then i asked some women students why do women feel threatened by men they are afraid of being killed. They said, and I couldn't stop thinking of that quote the whole time I was watching this movie because it really is so true in this movie. Yeah, not just that. Yes, these are the things that men and women are afraid of, but also that like they're right to be afraid of it. Like Mike actually is right that these women are making fun of him, yeah. like behind his back into his face, yeah. and all the women who like are wary of him. They're right to be. He does kill them, and I specifically thought of it in the scene where Pam gets scared. Yeah. the one we were talking about yeah. and she's like bleeding and she's crying and she says i know it's a joke and super funny yeah. but if you stop right now i won't tell anyone yeah. because i know it's a joke yeah. i know all about jokes yeah and it's like if that's not the sort of strategy that women have to pull out yeah. all the time yeah. to try to like de-escalate
0: well and also just because of where she is physically it really is her only go-to yeah she, she can't can fight him because yeah. there's the the plexiglass between them she can't get out of the car but, right because it's like his domain it's his yeah. car
1: And so we're trying to pull it like, oh, this guy is going to kill me, but no, we're going to be like, oh, this is just jokes. It's fine. yeah. And that that really is, you could see how maybe that would be useful on him, like effective on him, because then when the table gets turned on him and the other women in the second half start to beat his ass yeah. he what it, what he says is i'm sorry i didn't mean anything i was just playing, I was around. Just playing around like he really yeah. is like he really does which
0: things. i think he does it, i think that's what he was doing right because again do too. Yeah. he was just like that was fun right like yeah, he was he really joking did around have fun with it it was just incredibly violent and uh, without their consent right yeah <laughs> yeah
1: because stuntman mike is living in this world where like the consequences are being made fun of yeah the consequences are jokes yeah like that's the level of consequences he's used to playing at yeah the consequences women are used to playing at is murder yeah so like no they're not going to respond as that is a joke they're not going to respond with like oh he was just making fun of us that's not what women are afraid of from men women are afraid of murder yeah so when they get the chance
0: they're going to respond with murder because they're just at these different levels of consequence Right, yeah, and oh, uh, what like, what a wonderful world that must be to live in that just just be like you can really do whatever you want and, like, I just joke. The only consequence is that like somebody might laugh at you. Yeah. Like, oh, what a wonderful world. Or like be
1: be kind of upset or have their feelings hurt. But it's like it will be
0: their feelings who are hurt. Yeah. So
1: who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So it's another instance where like what you were saying, where you really like this as like a feminist empowerment movie that I think there are some things to fight the fact that this is written by a man. Where he really does get it right. Yeah. Like, I really did feel that. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: What you mentioned... Again, I can't remember exactly what words you used in the Planet Terror episode. Like, the genre of exploitation is that it can either be exploitative negatively... Or empowering. Or really empowering. And so, like, you know, you mentioned already how, like, this movie, Death Proof, could be seen either way Mm -hmm. as exploitative, like, from, like, a feminist reading or really empowering. empowering. Yeah. And I choose to see the empoweringness empoweringness yeah, yeah that empowerment Empa- I, ch- I like I see the empowerment and like that's what I choose to focus on however I can totally see right yeah i like the, the, the fact way. that it was written and directed by uh, like a white guy like yeah. obviously yeah. there's that part but like I think it's really empowering and honestly to me like this is where we're going next like that is why people don't like it yeah, uh, that I think that's yeah, really. That's it. I think it's it's misogyny, or in the case, because I actually know a lot of like women and girls who aren't a huge fan of this movie, like internalized, yeah. right? Because it subverts the most misogynistic version of the genre, mm-hmm. and actually ends with like the women are victorious, right? Yeah, you know, like they they win, they beat yeah the guy who represents like this patriarchal society mm-hmm. and the misogyny inherent in their career and so honestly i i really think that that's where it comes from i think that like people just don't like like get uncomfortable seeing women exist as women and being three dimensional and like reflected in media Mm -hmm. and like i think like people just get are uncomfortable by that but I, i really genuinely believe that that is like the root of when people are like i don't like death proof yeah no i have more to say about that do you have anything about like a feminist critique of this film yeah okay. well i think it's kind of like
1: what i've already talked about okay. there was this uh buzzfeed news article written mostly about margot robbie in once upon a time in hollywood but it has this part sort of generally talking about tarantino and his films yeah and it's talking about how like tarantino's at this point where people can't really challenge his movies because he's reached a point of like celebrity yeah and, he's like, quitting high tarantino man. like you can't yeah. so she he made has, pulp fiction yeah yeah so she says Tarantino doesn't seem to have been challenged much on his approach to filmmaking at all. And when he was, while he didn't just refuse to give an answer, he refused the concept of the question. That dismissive attitude, which coexists with the vivid, memorable women Tarantino has written into his scripts over the years, is emblematic of his insistence that his films can borrow power from real-world concerns, but owe nothing to the actual people, especially the actual women, who experience
0: them. (sighs) Wow. And that's like so, like, beautifully wraps up the entire idea of the exploitation genre. Right! That I think he, even in
1: his attempts to sort of, like, subvert that genre... Yeah. Like, I I did see some of the other critical takes on it were also just that, like, he got too deep into the exploitation genre. But I think that's true in all of his films, kind of. That he goes really deep on yeah. the genres. Even when he subsur- subverts them. Because it's so obvious that, like, he's a film nerd. Right. Yeah. But to the point where, like, maybe he doesn't question or problematize them enough, the, like, actual harmful elements of these movies, you know? The actual, like, exploitation films are exploitive. Yeah. And, like, this film still does have its exploitive moments. We still get a full-on lap dance, you know? Even if it's shot in this sort of way with her little flip-flops, that's kind of fun. Uh And he's, like, known for writing these women who, like, get revenge. Yeah. And, like, are really badass. And at least in this movie, less so in other movies, are, like, actually these real well-rounded characters that, like, Phil really lived in and true. But that, like, I don't know, going back to that other critique of him as, like, maybe this is a movie about the film industry he is still complicit in this, like, he is still complicit in the fact that these women need revenge. Yeah. So he's kind of, like, trying to, like, have his cake and eat it, too, of, like, look at these badass women that I'm still going to totally exploit. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah.
0: That it is, yeah, that it is just that tension there. I've already said, I think that people's kind of dislike or push against this film is rooted in, you know, the misogyny that is, like, structurally built in so uh, I've got another quote from Carol J. Clover this is an excerpt from The Final Girl Theory that I think just perfectly encapsulates everything I want to say about why people push against this movie Uh, the phenomenon of the male audience having to identify with a young female character Mm. in an ostensibly male oriented genre usually associated with sadistic voyeurism Mm -hmm. raises interesting questions about the nature of slasher films and their relationship with feminism and it's necessary for this surviving character to be female because she must experience abject terror and many viewers would reject a film that showed abject terror on the part of a male. Right. Which is what happens to Mike at the end. Yeah. Yeah. He absolutely
1: we see him blubbering. Yeah. We see him in pain. We yep. see him we see him in the sort of pain that we expect guys to kind of just walk off. Like, oh, you got shot in the shoulder or whatever. You yeah. know, like whatever. You and keep being a like badass. Crying. Yeah. yeah. And he's yeah, he's fully crying. He's like, Oh, I can't take it. You yeah. know, like he's whining
0: yeah and then he finds himself in a similar situation to where pam is where she's like kind of using her words to like beg for her life you know and be like i was just joking yeah which isn't what we
1: like to see men doing and then also even to make it even more explicit of the like demasculization where then he's getting talked about in these like sexual terms of like we're tapping that ass of the like yeah totally emasculated him like that's so uncomfortable And I think that was another thing that came up in a lot of the like negative reviews of this film is that they said they were always like, I normally love Tarantino's dialogue, but I hate the dialogue in this movie. Yeah. And I think it is because it's coming from women. Yeah, it's it's honestly pretty straightforward Tarantino dialogue. Like, the only part of the dialogue yeah. I didn't like was yeah. when they were talking about, like, so who's getting dick? Yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. they're, they're like, talking about men in this, like, really, like, okay, this is written by a man yeah, sort of way. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the rest of the time when it's just, like, when he just lets himself write as if these are just people yeah. and not women people, yeah. Yeah. it's, like, it's really great dialogue. Yep. I love the whole story about zoe bell like falling in the yeah. pit and being fine yep, being <laughs> you know funny. like it's so good and i think it really is telling that they talk about how like vanishing point is like a movie for guys yeah. and pretty and pink is a movie, movie for, for girls because yeah. it really did make me think yeah is that the problem is it that this is a movie for girls In a way that, like, Kill Bill isn't and Reservoir Dogs isn't. Like, is this just that it's a movie
0: for girls? And our culture's systematic, like, devaluing of anything that's perceived as feminine, Yeah, right? Like, the existence of women, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right, in general, Yeah, right? Just kind of, like, the devaluing and, like, again, you know, a woman can say something and just kind of be brushed off and ignored and, like, a man can say the exact same thing and be like, oh, that's, like, a really good idea, you know? Yeah, which
1: makes it actually interesting that all these movies... Like, that's something that Tarantino does is that he's really interested in revenge films and that he often centers them around, like, women getting revenge. Like, I'm thinking about how famous Kill Bill is, yeah. but how her, like, Uma Thurman's character, her need for revenge is, like, like this very singular thing that's very, like, hyper-stylized and, like, very exaggerated in a way that the revenge in this film, even though it still is, like, this guy's murdering people with this car, like, that's a little bit outside of reality, but, yeah. like, yeah, the idea of, like, guys... Creeping on women and like the other things that Simon and Mike does and like killing women that feels very real in a way that I think is difficult for people to watch. Yeah. Like, these aren't, like, samurai femme fatales, you yeah, know? Like, yeah. these are just, like, working girls in yeah. the industry wearing their flip-flops, like, yep. whatever. Just like, trying
0: to have a fun night out with their friends. And
1: then and yep. they're just getting sick and tired of all these, like, gross men who are yep. just, like, fucking with them for their own enjoyment. And, like, oh, this time they're going to let their rage out. And it's like, that's not what people want to see in a Tarantino film. Yeah. <laughs> they want to see things that's, like, a little more distanced from them. From reality. Because if they actually think about how angry and how much reason women actually have in our society to need revenge, revenge. revenge yeah i think that makes them really uncomfortable yeah whereas like i think for some of us women watching this we can feel a lot of catharsis in it depending on a
0: thousand percent yeah i
1: think you're right that men have a hard time with it because like the only person they can relate to is stuntman mike Mm -hmm. so when that turn happens where he's blubbering and sad it makes them feel also that way Yeah. yeah and it's hard because like like you're saying i also love this movie and see it more in this like kind of empowering way yeah despite the fact that it is definitely very voyeuristic yeah and it's also like problematized by the fact that so many of the voyeur shots like we know that they're coming from stuntman mike so like we know that they're the villain you know yeah like sometimes even literally through his camera lens so like even while we get these male gaze it's like still like demonized and he's still
0: in the wrong yeah yeah
1: and so it's like making you be really aware of the fact that this male gaze is very possessive and it's very violent Mm -hmm. and like if you don't already know that i could see that making somebody really uncomfortable or if you don't get that Tarantino's, like, playing with that, or you don't think he's playing with it enough because even though he's, like, problematizing it, he's still doing it. Sure.
0: Yeah. I could see how that would make you not like this movie. Yeah. But I like it. I mean, it's not perfect. Right. Yeah. it's But it's like, you know, to me, it's like, it's a piece of art. Yeah. It can have flaws and still be yeah. enjoyable.
1: And, and you have, can get different
0: things out of it. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and can and still have important be, things. Yeah. Like, be able to send that message. of be like, yeah, if you actually think about it for literally two seconds, you be like, Yeah, women actually have a lot to be upset about. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: that's really what this movie is about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they get it. And they get it. And I love it so much. Huge. Fan. And yeah, and
1: I think we're allowed to have critiques of things that we really like. Of or course. even love. Yeah. And I think this is one of those cases where I love this movie and have some notes. Yeah. Or can see how people have notes, yep. but often the notes that they have are stupid misogyny.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's just like, I don't like women saying things. That's not <laughs> obviously from the perspective of a woman. It's just from the perspective of a human. Yeah. Nah, I don't like how that. How
1: dare you suggest these uh, women are like human yeah. and have their own feelings. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry about it. Uh, do you want to play a game? Let's play a game. Okay, yeah. So for our planetary episode, you- I made a bad. You made a mad lid. All on my own Some. I also made a Mad Lib, but I made it with ChatGPT. However, you know, the thing is, is that it's not perfect. Right, yeah. It's this tool that we're meant to use. It's not supposed to replace us. It's supposed to be like an extra tool in our toolbox. So I did, Um, I did, you, you know. Yeah, you fiddled with it. Fiddled with it. So I need some things from you. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, I need an adjective. Vampiric. Uh, and give me an occupation. Any
1: occupation. Okay. Um, Well, let's stick with biomechanical (laughs) consultant.
0: You know how bad my spelling is. Biomech. Biomech consultant. (laughs) Got it. Uh, Hold on. That's actually going to come up twice, so let me just (laughs) copy-paste. Give me a name. Just a name a human being might have. Max. And then can I also have the name uh, of a city? What about Prague? Prague. Love it. So now I need, again, two adjectives. That go together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's
1: horrible. I was going to
0: say wet and glistening. I love it. Okay. I just feel like it's going to end up being gross. (laughs) I mean, maybe. Um, A noun. Rabbit. Two more adjectives, please. That go
1: together again? Yeah. Okay. Um, It's really hard to not just say fast and furious. Let's just say
0: fast and furious. I love it. (laughs) Another noun, please. Uh, Jackhammer. And then uh, two more adjectives. Okay. Okay. Um, fluffy and cute.
1: A noun. Sidewalk. Is that going to work? That's a weird no. noun. That was a weird choice for a noun. That's okay. okay. I'll take it back. Okay. Um. Oh, muscle car. We'll be thematic. Do a muscle car.
0: Two more adjectives, but they don't. Okay. They're just necessarily go together. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um. Oh, you know what? We haven't done a color yet. Okay. So lemon yellow.
0: Lemon yellow. Okay. Uh spooky spooky uh two more
1: adjectives that go together yeah proud and tall those kind of go together right <laughs> yeah they do Uh <laughs> um, you stand tall when you're proud a noun please
0: pikachu <laughs> now i'm just naming things in your house <laughs> give me an adjective please an adjective um sleepy and now a noun soda pop soda pop two more adjectives together again yep and this is it. The last adjective. Okay. And then you get to create the title of this film as well. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, shiny and new. Uh, and what's our title? What's the title of this film?
1: Oh, just anything in the world? Yeah. Nothing to go with? No. Okay. It just says title. Yeah. Yeah. Goof. Uh, gee, uh, 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 this is hard without knowing anything. I know. Maybe I can name it at the end of the whole thing.
0: Okay. Let's do that. You want me to just go then? Yeah. Love it. Okay. And well, Then I'll decide so what our movie will be called. Okay. Alright. In a world where vampiric hitmen roam the streets, <laughs> one biomechanic Consultant is about to seek revenge. Mm-hmm. Meet Max, a wet and glistening <laughs> biomechanic consult- consultant with a dark past. Oh no! He's determined to settle the score with the rabbit who wronged him. <laughs> Not a rabbit! In Quentin Tarantino's late- latest masterpiece, Prepare for Fast and Furious Journey Through the Underbelly of Prague, um, the streets will run red with jackhammers <laughs> as Max gathers a team of fluffy and cute misfits. <laughs> Uh starring Samuel L. Jackson as a muscle car <laughs> with a lemon yellow secret. <laughs> And Uma Thurman as a spooky femme fatale. Yeah, she is. <laughs> uh, as the body count rises, the stakes get proud and tall. Yeah. Okay. Uh, will Max have his revenge or will he become just another Pikachu in the annals of Prague's criminal history? <laughs> Not another Pikachu. Not another Pikachu. Uh, prepare for jaw-dropping sleepy dialogue and unexpected <laughs> soda pops. <laughs> this summer, brace yourself for the most shiny and new thrill ride of the year. Jackhammer Hair, Jackhammer Hair, directed by Quentin Tarantino, coming soon to a theater near you. <laughs> well, that sounds silly. I'd watch it. Oh, hair, H A R E. Yeah. Yes, I get it. I get it. Okay, love it. So I did. I did add in the part about Samuel L. Jackson and Uma yeah, Thurman because it's like who, who, like, yeah. what is again? ChatGPT did. I'm sure it's best, but like, other than just writing in the words Quentin Tarantino a couple yeah, of times yeah. Like, it didn't what makes really, this a Tarantino yeah. film yeah where were the feet where were the feet right where was the iconic looking in the hood of the car the hood of the car yeah so uh so, that's not
1: normally in the trailer so
0: yeah exactly so you know we got to put in the actors who yeah who do, I mean who Vampire Kidman I feel that <laughs> I could see him From writing dust movie. Till movie yeah yeah so this has been Deep Thoughts Shallow Plots uh thank you for listening uh next Time. Join us next time. We'll be talking about we're getting ready for summer. Yes. So we're going to be covering a uh, sleepaway camp. Yes.
1: Follow us on Instagram
0: at, at Deep Thought Shallow Plots is the whole thing. Uh, thanks to our sound guy, Matt. Always thanks to Matt. Always. And until next time, do your laundry whenever the fuck you want to do your laundry.